in a world where people actually watch the stuff their friends recommend. This is I'll Look at Yours If You Look at Mine. dream last night. I was dancing the white swan. It was different choreography though. It was more like the Bolshoi's. It was the prologue when Rothbard cast a spell. You know, I had the craziest dream last night too. I'm being serious now. I fell into a, like a bush of stinging nettles and I was covered head to foot um, and I've heard that you're not supposed to feel pain in dreams, but I beg to differ. Ouch. Uh, I had to tear them out with my bare hands, woke up in a sweat, and I swear it still hurt after I was awake for like a good five minutes. But yeah, dancing's a crazy dream too, I guess. Uh, you know, incidentally though, my feet do still hurt after watching this movie. Greetings, lookers! Welcome to this edition of I'll Look at Yours If You Look at Mine, the podcast that's one part movie discussion. One part game show where we never know what we're watching next. I'll be your host, Ben Mitchell, and you can find me on Twitter and most social media with the handle at RedHenMedia1. Look for that red hen icon. Now, our theme for Series 5 is Osktoberfest, our daily double mashup of Oscar winners and Halloween. And today, we'll be discussing Black Swan 2010, which is a drama thriller feature film that's currently streaming on Hulu. Um, notice, we're overstocked on Black Swan Halloween costumes, so rush to get yours now with promo code What the heck does this movie have to do with Halloween for a 31% discount? Kidding aside, the uh, Descent into Madness is horrifying. And I'm here today with my distinguished co-hosts who are likely talking behind my back, so let's join their conversation already in progress. Hey, gang. Howdy. Hey. Hello. With us today, the provocative one, Mr. Devin Schwartz. The game is on. Indeed. And we'll have a dance-off later, so look out for that. <laughs> <laughs> and my good friend, the incendiary James Pepe. It's it's me, James. And I was I was surprised to find out that the that this was this movie was sponsored by the Ballerinas Guild. <laughs> not, not, a, not a very You're kidding endorsement. Me. No, it wasn't. No. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> you know, I heard that the whole like bacon craze was like um possibly like some conspiracy theory. Or not conspiracy theory. There was a conspiracy theory that it was run by like the the Bacon Association of America or something, or the Bacon Guild or something. They're like behind the whole thing. It's one of those crazes oh, yeah. that sprouted up, you know, five ten years ago and then died away. So look out. I mean, if by behind it you mean they made bacon taste really good and everyone likes it, I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah right. job done. Conspiracy confirmed. Yeah, right. Yeah, I don't know if I buy that one because uh, bacon is delicious and all. It's not like uh, Brussels sprouts or something where you have to so like, you're, 
so refine them to make me, them edible. You you took some pork, best of all possible meats, uh-huh. sliced <laughs> into the fattiest part, and then fried. <laughs> I'm on board. Okay. Yeah, Mikey likes it, <laughs> and uh, who, uh, the other person who likes it is the irrepressible gentleman, Jim Scott. Hey, Jim. Hey, how's it going? Good. Hey, so we're gonna. If we're going to do a dance-off, could I be your alternate? <laughs> <laughs> Look out, I might get stabby. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> but before we get stabby, we have a little something we do called the rundown. Who started on that rundown yet? Oh, this is just something I'm taking a break with. Oh, right, we'll get back to the rundown. Uh, right now. Okay, great. Hey, you know what? Do you have a rundown that I could take a look at just so I know what type of rundown you're looking for? Just keep it simple. Keeping it simple, that's what yeah. I'm doing. But I am working hard on this one. Real hard. You're so. working hard on this? No, not not too hard. Not harder than I should. Right. I mean, why work harder than you should? <laughs> no, I... Our boss, Charles <laughs> Miner, just demanded a rundown and... Jim from the office just handed the dossier to James Pepe. So let's see what Pepe has for us on Black Swan. Take it away, Pepe. Man, I always get saddled with these like hard to explain movies. Uh, yeah, so this is a movie about um, Natalie Portman, who is, uh, well, it's not about Natalie Portman, but it is starring Natalie Portman uh, as an, ex- an, an aspiring ballerina who finally gets her big break to play the swan queen in their like New York production of Swan Lake. Um, And uh, it's sort of about the uh, trials and tribulations she goes through (laughs) on her path to becoming uh, both the white and the black swan. (laughs) Sounds about right, except for the descent into madness. Yeah, well, yeah, it's I mean, it's it's a little hard to go into to. Yeah, there's a lot would, of like, uh, would you would you say this movie is an odd duck? Yeah, right. Yes. Um, yeah, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot more to it than that. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of sort of like allegory going on and uh, stuff like that. A lot of interpretation. Um, yeah, yeah. It's also I think I think she's supposed to be like. 18 in this movie also so it's also sort of like a coming of age story yeah i like um, natalie portman but she looked about like 40 and I, I i don't know if it was the makeup or what but uh, did you guys notice that yeah she kind of has a severe bone structure and she obviously lost weight for this role so i think part of it's it like, like gaunt when too. yeah when she became very gaunt which made her look a little older i think yeah yeah, yeah she did look still beautiful older, yeah. of course but certainly didn't look 18 yeah yeah um as far as like uh uh like interesting trivia i think the most interesting thing i found about this was that there was some like minor controversy around when they released the blu-ray of this i guess um Hmm. when the woman so both natalie portman and mila kunis went through like a fair amount of i think it was like a year's worth or at least for natalie portman it was of like ballerina training but i guess she was still never 
and I have no idea how long it takes to be able to do this. I assume it's very hard, but she was never able to go on point, which means standing up on her toes, you know, yeah. like how ballerinas yeah. do. And so she needed to have like a dance dance body double for those scenes, which is why you never see. Oh, I remember yeah. this. Yeah, continue. Yeah, yeah. So they released, the, they were releasing the Blu-ray, like a remastered Blu-ray, I guess. And um, her dance double like released a statement saying that like she wasn't properly credited and they were trying to make it seem like Natalie Portman was doing all of the dance scenes herself and stuff like that. And I guess she was suing or there was some some little litigation or something. Yeah, um, they were selling it to the award shows as if this was Portman actually rising up to do the performance you know and i find it hard to believe that you can like ballet is like one of the harder dance styles to learn and and execute uh proficiently so like the idea that you could learn it in a year is ridiculous yeah i think i think you have to be really really strong and really really skinny at the same time uh, which seems like a losing combination but and I and um, I yeah, it's probably hard. you have to learn it from being like a little kid or something to build those muscles up over years of training and stuff. It's it's like becoming a ninja. You can't really do it in a year. You can fake it on film though, especially with a double. Right. But the idea that they lied and sold it as her doing it, yeah, that's not cool. Yeah, in fact, and her so I guess her performance was included in New Yorker's list of best cinematic performances of the 21st century. And now I wonder if that was before the controversy. Mm. yeah but i so but the the more i read about it the more that pretty much everybody i guess i should say on all accounts natalie portman did most of the dancing and just here i have it up that says um uh this is aronofsky he said i had my editor count shots there are 139 dance shots in the film 111 are natalie portman untouched 28 are her dance doubles Sarah Lane. Um, so why, like, I don't think they were trying to cut her out of the credits or anything, but I guess she was just like, oh, I guess, oh, I remember she was asked to like not do interviews in order to make it seem more like Natalie Portman had done all of it, I think is what it was. It's a little um, shady. And it, yeah, it's a little shady, I guess, but it does sound, I mean, if that's true, that does sound like Natalie Portman did most of them, but still, that's yeah. no excuse not to. I mean, I'm sure she got proper crediting in the credits, but maybe she didn't. No, and I don't blame Portman because, you know, yeah, this yeah. was the people selling the movie and the producers and stuff. Um, and she worked her butt off. Uh, and I'm sure it was as torturous, if not more, than the guys who have to, like, uh, um, blend up, like, the chicken and broccoli and drink it to become Captain America and stuff, you know? This yeah. Is, this is another one of those, like, low-key torture things that you have to go through to make the film work. So still, yeah, you know, uh, and on that top, she was I, able to do what she did. Another thing I read was that the the film, for some reason, had a very, very tight budget. And I guess Natalie Portman, when that when one of the guys was like lifting her up, she dislocated one of her ribs and the like film or whatever, like couldn't pay for it because they didn't have the budget for it. They couldn't like pay her oh, medical wow. bills. So I guess she had to do it herself. Yeah. With a prestige picture like this, I could see an actor who has uh, already made their bones like coming out of pocket to do it, um, to make it happen. Now, I've, I've been watching that, um, not to sidetrack too much, but I've been watching that show on Netflix, The Movies That Made Us, 
And I was surprised to see how many of these, like some of the best movies ever, just like almost didn't get made because just the studios just didn't believe in them. You know, some suit didn't understand, you know, that Forrest Gump was going to be, uh, you know, this juggernaut or whatever, you know, and they just didn't get behind it. So, I mean, I could see that happening yeah. with this too. It's, it's odd for this one though, because like, well, like Aronofsky at this point wasn't like some unknown, like, value right like he had done no, Pi, no. requiem for a dream the fountain the wrestler yep, yep. yeah and, the rest of great. yeah i mean all so it's you know no and the same thing for the director i mean since i used that example already there's other examples but um uh the director of forrest gump uh oh god i'm blanking on his name uh you know the he's back to the future director come on somebody help me ron howard no uh um but he's one of the he's up there with I see Devin looking. Zemeckis. Save me. Yes, thank you. God, Robert Zemeckis, you know, he had already done Back to the Future and all these other movies, and he's like, why are they sweating me on this? Like, don't they trust me yet? What do I have to do to get the studio's trust at this point, you know? Maybe maybe they could see into the future and saw it's like critical reevaluation coming down the line. <laughs> Did it get critically reevaluated? Yeah, it's it's not. I from what I understand, Forrest Gump isn't exactly held in like high as or certainly isn't is held in, as high regard okay, now I as see it your was. Point. No, you're right, and um, but the producers don't care because they uh, the studios don't yeah, care right. about that. They care about the bottom line. They made their money. Yeah, they got their awards at the time, so they're good. No, I mean if you put uh, Forrest, I I'm I'll be the first to say this. If you put Forrest Gump uh, up against uh, the other movie that was. Uh, up that year for best picture which was a little film called shawshank redemption i'd choose shawshank every time yeah but uh, i digress so um so what awards did this thing garner oh yeah so uh it obviously won an academy award so um portman natalie portman won for best actress okay ring it up yeah it also got uh, <laughs> it also got nominated for like all the other ones so like best picture directing cinematography editing um and that sort of trend seemed to continue so like at the bafta she won for best actress and it got nominated for all the other ones um same with screen actors guild um and like i said like it that sort of just seemed to be the trend um, she won a golden globe too right Natalie Portman. i think she got a golden globe oh i don't know she seemed to get all the run-up awards that. that like add up to getting the Academy Award, where you can like predict that she was going to get it, you know. Which is how a lot of those yeah. awards are treated. Like they're like she did win a Golden Globe, yeah, yeah. So that's a good indicator, like that she would have won. I think people expected her to win that year, and then of course she did. Yeah. Any, she uh, also uh, she also won for Best Actress in the Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror Films. <laughs> ah, nice. so this is a Halloween yeah. movie. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, I, I, uh, I was as I was looking down this list, they go in alphabetical order. So I was looking under the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences of Argentina, and I was surprised for a moment to see Darren Aronofsky won for Best Foreign Film, and then I realized, oh yeah, in Argentina, this is a foreign film. Yep. Yeah. I wonder if the uh, American films just dominate that category in Argentina. Oh, man, I don't know. You're Maybe less right. so now than than before, but uh, I bet. I mean, they, they, might be super, they might be super into Bollywood movies, and who knows? Yeah. 
Now I'm yeah. Now I'm curious. Hmm. Well, it it got it. It got it. There's there's uh, much celebration, I'm sure, when they when they. Or maybe they're that. super into uh, Estonian movies, and it's just November every year. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> they just uh, do like a re-release in one theater and resubmit <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, right. One little frame changed or something. The That's year how they of do November, baby. Yep, <laughs> that is how they do it in Estonia. They only movie have the decade. one movie there. That's, That's right. the, it's the only movie. That's right. It has everyone in Estonia starring in it, and then it's their one movie. That's how they do. Um, what was it rated? Did we did we do the rating? Oh yeah, this is a hard R, man. Did you see that uh-huh. sex scene? Jeez. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't notice anything. Yeah, no, I yeah, I didn't remember any of that. I'll tell you, I saw this once before, and I also I only say that because my movie was already chosen. Um, but uh, yeah, I didn't remember a lot of this movie. I was surprised. Um, and it was actually better than I remembered, uh, which seems to be happening quite a bit with these movies lately. Um, yeah, so anything else you, that you wanted to add for the rundown before we uh cut over and figure out who done this sucker? Uh, no, I don't think so, other than that, um, this is a really good movie and people should watch it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Um, okay, well, we do need to figure out who done it, but first, let's check what's in the news. Uh, starting with Devin. Uh, yeah, I got a I got a clipping right here. Uh, it's ten ballet secrets to make you an insanely good dancer. Number seven will shock <laughs> you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, I got a click. That's some good clickbait there. All right, and James uh, Pepe, oh, did man. you find anything interesting in the news today? Oh, ripped from the headlines. <laughs> Age-old question finally solved. Ballet, the real reason lesbians keep their fingernails short. Uh, <laughs> oh, ooh. Ouch. Yeah, that headline hurt me. Owie, owie. Owie, zowie. Okay, and uh, Jim Scott, did you find anything interesting? Yeah, I found one in the creative arts and entertainment for the local uh, newspaper here. It's a promising girl loses herself at larger than life talent show. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, she did. (laughs) Talk about losing yourself in the role. (laughs) Yeah. There'll be a follow-up article whether or not she ever found herself. Um, Spoiler, she does not. (laughs) Oh, I think she finds herself like one or two times in this movie. (laughs) Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, I guess it depends on how you look at it. But yeah, I can, I can, yeah. I can go with that. Hey, well, she had, she Hey-o. had to search for herself first, and then yeah, <laughs> yeah. the search was uh, in depth. <laughs> in depth. Jesus. <laughs> okay, I'm doing my own sound effects. Why don't we? Why don't we uh, figure out who done it? That's right, we've reached the segment where we guess and reveal who is responsible for this week's submission. Winner with the most correct guesses at the end of the series will win a Who Dundee Award, and it is prestigious. Uh, okay, so Jim, as the reigning champ, you guess first. <coughs> who done it, Jim? All right. <clears throat> well, this one was uh, an interesting uh, movie, and two people come to mind. I can definitely see this being a Pepe film being kind of a mind bender slowly out of focus type of surreality going on 
Um, but then I see Cat uh, swimming division because she often picks very complex movies that she's seen before, and she wants like one more time so that we can get like another understanding. Um, and I would say of the two, I think Cat rings more true, so I'm gonna go with Cat. Yeah, although cats don't typically swim, um, I'm gonna jump in and and uh, paddle alongside that Jesus. idea. Uh, oh, was, was that a stretch? <laughs> so we'll we'll, we'll, try. we'll fix it in post. On that one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ow. <laughs> oh, I think I scratched myself. That's going to become a bad habit. Um, so, so, yeah, I'm also <laughs> going to go with cat on this one. Uh, Devin, who done it? Yeah, I, I think I'm going to jump on the bandwagon here and say Cat. This this definitely feels like the kind of genre she's into. She loves the like sort of th- psychological thriller type of stuff. She most recently has been trying to convince me to watch Squid Game. Um, her and mm. everyone else on the planet Earth, apparently. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think this is absolutely Cat's pick. But I, I wouldn't be completely shocked if it was Pepe's, but I would be disappointed. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Uh, well, James, Pepe, be disappointed. Gonna... Jeez. we'll get to that. We'll get to that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, let's throw the, uh, the blame off of you here and, uh, figure out uh, who you think done it. Man, this was a hard one. Okay. So I think it's probably cat because you got two female leads. Her other movies have been, uh, like this is, this is like a better version of horse girl <laughs> in many ways. Yeah. Um, point. Uh, but this also could be Devin, just like deep undercover as both me and Cat. Um, <laughs> oh, but I Ooh. think this might have, yeah, yeah. That could also be the Halloween, uh, the loose interpretation of Halloween, because Devin's like in disguise. Yeah, uh, and and uh, Devin did, and Devin did say game on, you know. So he, he did, uh. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so what yeah. you, what's your vote then? But uh, but on the take. other hand, this this might have a little bit too much like body horror stuff. I know Devin really doesn't like finger like fingernail stuff. I think like teeth and fingernail stuff he doesn't like in his movies. Uh, and this has <laughs> fingernail stuff. Specific. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It does. It does. Um, so I I'm going to I I'm going to say cat because I think yeah I think it's going to be cat. But I wouldn't be disappointed if it was Devin. <laughs> Okay, okay. So what did Kat uh vote? She's got a lot of uh, uh she's got a lot of suspicion. So let's see if she can throw it off. Yeah, straight straight from the cat's mouth here, we've got uh, a whole movie with two attractive actresses ballet dancing while occasionally making out. This is one hundred percent a total Pepe movie. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's just give it a chance here. Does anyone want to change their vote before we lock it in? Man, if I'm, if, I'm sticking if, with Cat personally, if the lighthouse had more makeout scenes, I could see this being yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally, yeah, <laughs> yeah. There was implied making out. It was it was oh, you know just below the surface. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. There was a lot of jerking off in that movie, as in this movie. Hmm. Yeah, there are parallels. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Well, does anyone want to change their vote, or are we locked in, guys? Seems like we're locked in. Okay, so let's uh, ask Kat uh, via Devin and the email. So how we're doing this since Kat's not here is we will not we have we're not going to open the envelopes in this case the email until uh, it's time. 
So it is now time to open the email and find out if Cat done it. Is there a, I, was, I, was, I forgot if there was a sound drum before. <laughs> um, yes, no, it was. It was Cat's film. Yay. Yay! That is correct. All right. So, what's the point uh, tally so far, Devin? Do you have that handy? Uh, good time to check in. Um, because we just all got it correct, it looks like I'm in the lead. You son of a bitch. Three correct guesses. Um, And the rest of you would be tied for second place at two each. Um, This is a movie about a backstage rivalry. Okay. Okay, Okay. so Devin's got to get the next one wrong. Which he can't do because his has... Oh, wait. Has yours been... No, if mine mine is next, then obviously I can't guess on that one, and I won't, and I won't be able to guess the last one, so I'll lose two. Um, So people do have a chance to catch up. So, oh, so yeah, we can so we can tie. We can have a tie. If the next one is mine, it'll be a four-way tie or five-way tie between all of us. Okay, all right. <laughs> instantly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Wow. So uh, now that we know who done it, it's time to ask why done it. If I can find my uh, why done it soundbite, that would be helpful. Okay, and we'll go to Kat's frozen image here and uh, play her video and see <laughs> why she chose this and what she thought about the movie. All right, so my thoughts on this movie. On the very surface level, um, this is a movie about a backstage rivalry between two ballerinas trying to get the leading role in Swan Lake. Um, in that regard, this movie could easily give the impression of being just like another boring melodrama that has been done, you know, many times before. Uh, But thankfully, there's a lot more to this movie than just that, um, which is why I chose it for this season. Uh, To be honest, it's, I had a hard time thinking of a Halloween movie that had also won an Oscar. I don't really think of um, Halloween-like movies when I think of the Oscars, but when I remember this movie, I felt like it fit the bill perfectly. I think with Natalie Portman's incredible acting performance, along with the director's creative direction in this movie, it just felt like a typical Oscar-winning movie, um, while also kind of having that sinister touch that is usually found in the horror-thriller genre. Um, although it's you know definitely not the first time I've chosen a movie about a woman slowly losing her mind, um, and where like you know viewers don't really know what's actually real or or not anymore um this is definitely the first time i've chosen a very well-known movie that some of you guys may have already seen um so before but before we go um we get to your guys' thoughts what really stood out for me um, about this movie was the power dynamics of every relationship natalie portman's character had with the people in her life and what those relationships said specifically about being a woman and how this movie defined um, femininity. So with that in mind, my question for you guys is, what did y'all think about the power dynamics in this movie? An example, um, her versus her mom, her versus her boss, her versus Mila Kunis, her versus herself. And do you think this movie did a good job showing those power and imbalances in a subtle way all right look forward to you guys 
to hearing your guys' thoughts. Thank you, Kat. And uh, yeah, I will also say, let me get back to us, uh, that I obviously, in, um, you probably already figured this in light of my bad joke in the beginning, um, I was like, why is this, uh, how is this a Halloween movie? But after having watched it again, I, I do understand where she was coming from on that. Yeah, and I, I read too, um, when I was just looking and stuff about it, that uh, the director insists that this is a psychological horror film, although it wasn't marketed as one at the time. That's how he defines it. Yeah, I think I remember. I remember watching this one the first time. I only watched it once, and I remember being caught quite off guard by that. I don't know how yeah. you. Would, I don't know how else you would categorize this other than a horror movie. I mean, it's horrific in parts. Yeah, 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 they even say it's a thriller, but I would say that the, there is definitely uh, a ton of horror elements in there, but um, it's another kind of a mashup between genres. And it's also, you know, because there's like the unreliable narrator and it's kind of an interpretive, it's it's not, it, I guess it could feel confusing and I guess maybe that's uh, on purpose because it's supposed to be like this, more than like a standard narrative, it's supposed to be more of like an interpretation, you know, where the audience um, experiences what it feels like more than what it what it is like uh, on the outside, seeing someone lose their mind. You kind of like step into her uh, ballet shoes, so to speak, and experience what it might be like to uh, lose your grip on reality, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, to answer Kat's question, though, her, her prompt in her video, I think that... Uh, this film does do a good job of of showing those power imbalances and yep. i think where i kind of uh, uh lost the plot i guess in this is just what the movie's like main point is because i felt like there was a lot i got a lot of fragments of theses in this film and uh -huh. i couldn't really identify the central thesis i don't know if any of you guys had a similar problem or maybe you guys know the yeah thesis. Yeah, no, I had the same issue as you. Uh, this movie feels like, uh, so, you know, for as far as comprehension, like poetry is usually the hardest for me to try to ferret out. And that's because it's so dense and each word can be loaded with meaning or context. It's great. And I feel like, time. and I feel like this movie is poetry. Um, some of the scenes and stuff adding to the larger whole, it's very dense with meaning. And I feel as well as audience, it does at least rely on what we know, like what we are bringing to the movie um, as far as what Swan Lake is and even like what a black swan is. Because I guess there's a lot of meaning attached to black swan, even taken out of the context of this this play. But to get back to your to, to the point you were making, Devin, I too have a, a bunch of like little clues, but I don't have the puzzle put together. And I was hoping that together we can reach at least a deeper understanding of, of this movie than we had just watching it alone. Yeah, maybe Pepe can jump in and help with that, too, because I feel like we're sorely missing Kat on in this specific discussion. Uh, I did like mm -hmm. your analogy of calling it poetry, especially knowing Aronofsky's previous films uh, were similarly maybe fragmented and and um, imbued with different meanings and, and themes and mm -hmm. such. 
Um, that's kind of his style or maybe his calling card or whatever. But um, yeah, I too wanted to hope was hoping to suss out uh, some more of that, uh, some some solid ground to stand on as far as uh, understanding the film and, and what he was going for here. However, if I might uh, just comment on the power dynamics that that was the one thing that stood out and it was almost um, the biggest thing. It was almost like the slap in the face every two minutes that, that she was just wrestling with every person in this, you know, yeah. and if I had to do what she had to do, I'd probably lose my grip on reality as well. She was up against it with everybody. Did she have anyone he, that she could that that she took into her confidence at all? Where she could rely not, on them? Not anybody. I mean, she took different characters and confidences along certain ways, and they kind of revealed themselves, at least a portion. But nobody that she could rely entirely. Somebody that, like, I have your back. There was no support for her. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, one, one of those theses that I picked up on was about trust and how every time she trusts someone, they, they like, befoul they her trust somehow. Yeah. yeah, so she trusts her mother, and her mother's, like, overbearing and, and torturous mm -hmm. toward her. She trusts the, the director, and he picks Mila Kunis and she trusts Mila Kunis and then she betrays her. You know, like every time she trusts someone, they, they turn around there. So that was definitely a central theme. All these power figures, she, as soon as she trusts them, that's when they betray her the most. And the mom probably hurt the most because that's supposed to be a foundational uh, relationship that you can rely on. And it's not, none of this was really unrealistic as far as we know about Hollywood, even if you're not in production or whatever. Um, but this, the whole like stage parent thing and the director's mm -hmm. couch, right? That kind of thing. Yep. Um, and the cutthroat um, understudy or or uh, people that you're, you know, uh, in competition with for the role. You know, all these things are, are very true and real. And I think that's probably why it played so well to people uh, in the Academy who uh, probably have experienced this sort of thing firsthand. And as we know, since the Me Too movement came out and Harvey Weinstein was uh, has since received some comeuppance, uh, not enough probably in in light of what we know, but um, we we know this very much to be accurate and not uh, an exaggeration in any sense. Yes, yeah, speaking on um, some of the power dynamics and also linking it to what you just said, Ben, <laughs> is definitely a terrible aspect of the film that the stage director or whatever his lauded position is. Obviously, he's the, 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 the top because all the ballerinas are trying to curry his favor. And what he does with that power is definitely inexcusable. But looking through the lens of the of of this film and getting like very nuanced reality of what it is to be a ballerina you know you're working all the time you're putting your body through a beating um both through starvation i mean that that scene where mm -hmm. she can't even have like the congratulation cake but her mother gives her a little swirl and that's like true happiness that was whoa that's bizarre you know um and also with that, with the pressure to perform, that intense pressure, having a, a basically work is your life, this small community of other people that are also competing and buying for the role. But they're, they're um, in some ways um, uh, uh, comrades in arms 
because they, they do kind of help her a little bit. But just that intensity of, of the relationship when you're spending so much time with each other and the director being part of that, I don't, I mean, maybe this doesn't make any difference at all, but I don't see his, like what he did necessarily be like, oh, it's, you know, I'm using my power to sleep with the female. It almost feels like he has a certain vision that he has intermeshed himself with in this community. And he's so close to these girls. I mean, with that type of proximity, I mean, sexuality happens. And yeah, there's oh, certain. Sorry. Oh, go, no, no, go, go ahead. Cause I am definitely not, this is not a complete thought. This is a little bit okay. of a ramble. I was going to say, I think I can see it in that. That is certainly his rationale is that mm -hmm. this is how he's going to direct her scare quotes for those listening um, mm -hmm. to get her to open up and reach that emotional part of herself that's lacking in her mm -hmm. performance. Um, however, I still see it as a gross rationalization and the power dynamics not right there. Yeah. And, yeah, also, and the pattern, I mean, it's uh, sexual abuse is always about the pattern and like, mm -hmm. you know, he's clearly done this before, potentially even more times than just with, uh, uh, I forgot her name, Winona Ryder's character. Yep. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it mm -hmm. seems very clear that this is just what he does. Yeah, yeah. it's bad. <clears throat> I was going to say also, uh, she did uh, have a sense of uh, camaraderie ship, camaraderie ship. Uh, I'll just leave that there. Um, with the other uh, mm -hmm. ballerinas until she gets the main role. And then she feels like that one yep. that one thing that she did have, those people that she relied on, uh, she is isolated from them. Because when she does show up to the dressing room later, they say, oh, look who has deigned us with her presence, you know, at that point. Mm. So she's further isolated as the movie goes on as she becomes the main role. But I did want to play, uh, it was a good setup for a clip there. Um, when she bumps into Winona Ryder's uh, character after getting the main role and she accuses her of uh, being intimate with the director to get the role. So let me play that for you guys. <gasps> Beth? I'm so sorry to hear you're leaving the company. What'd you do to get this role? He always said you were such a frigid little girl. What did you do to make him change his mind? Did you suck his cock? Not all of us have to. <sighs> you fucking whore. You're a fucking little whore. Whoa, what's going on here? Hey, hey, I need to talk to you. I, I need wrong. to talk to you. No, don't you do that. Don't you dismiss me like that. Beth. My little princess, please hold it together. I'm coming by later. I have something for you. It's a token of my appreciation. Right. You make the most of it, Nina. Don't worry. It's typical. <laughs> you talk about layered. I just heard when she kind of zings Winona Ryder uh, back uh, in that scene, there was a little sound overlay of Mila Kunis laughing. I don't want to play it again. Oh, wow. But, uh, it was like, a, it was stylized, but it was there. I think it was Mila Kunis. 
So, wow, uh, well that's done, a deep Anon. insight. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't catch it before, but just kind of listening back just to the sound without the visual. That's what yeah. I hear. Um, well done. Speaking, speaking of the, the dynamic with the director once again, and just trying to peel apart some of the nuance. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why this thought comes to my, my, my mind, but I'm just going to put it out there. The director is very much like a, a pimp. In, in, in a certain way, in the sense that you feel like he does have emotion for these girls, like he's not just trying to, you know, bed them. He actually cares about them, you, you, you know. So there's a that complexity because it's obvious he cares mm-hmm. cares about Beth. I mean, you know, his job is to get the best performance that he can, and there, you right. know, that award winning, you know, performance and a lot of financial backers, which we see kind of his pressure. But there is definitely some love there. The other thing that I um, saw, like when I see when I was watching the scene, I was thinking because uh, in the name of the movie is Black Swan, mm-hmm. and by this point they had outlined what Swan Lake is is about. I was wondering, is uh, Natalie Portman's character kind of the Black Swan to Winona Ryder because the prince is the director? You have the two, you know, swans, kind of the allegory we were talking about. And then later on, uh, she projects that the Kunis ballerina is almost nemesis to her, the black swan, trying to buy for the role. So I was just, you know, curious about that interplay as well. Yeah, let yeah. me play the uh, the story clip, but go go ahead first, Devin. I have the thing just that kind of fills in the Black Swan backstory, but uh, let's hear your thoughts. Yeah, I was just going to say that I definitely saw the, the parallels, mainly, I, I don't know if Winona Ryder's character, I think that you could shift the perspective of this film and make Winona Ryder's character mm-hmm. be the White Swan and, and uh, Natalie Portman the Black Swan, but I think mostly Natalie Portman's character is living out the plot of the the musical sure. basically where yeah. mila kunis is the black swan she kills herself in the end uh you know in a in a, an attempt mm-hmm. to be free from this whole thing but again it's like it's one of those kind of loose threads where it's like but in the musical it's meant to be that the uh uh swan the, the woman who's cursed needs to find love uh loses the love and therefore has to set herself free by dying but in this really the white swan's love is the affection from the crowd that like getting the role perfect and she achieves it and then dies achieving her goal. I don't know. It doesn't match up perfectly just at the end there, unless I'm missing something, but it doesn't seem to match up with the, the message of the play hmm. the musical. Really. Well, I can add that. I know that Aronofsky did get, I read anyway, that Aronofsky did get the concept for the movie from watching the black swan and being interested in the idea of the understudy and how that dynamic played into the plot of the Black Swan. Um, and that the idea came to him in about 99 or 2000, and he actually approached uh, Natalie Portman about it then in 2000. And a total uh, Hollywood story it took 10 years to make, like a lot of these things. So yeah. And that interesting a little tie-in there. Did you have something to add, Jim, before I play the clip? It should fill uh, in a little well- bit of the story. Yeah, I, I can add it after the clip if you like. Okay, yeah, let's run the clip uh, just in case it sparks any other thoughts or ideas about it. We all know the story. Virginal girl, pure and sweet, trapped in the body of a swan. She desires freedom, 
but only true love can break the spell. Her wish is nearly granted in the form of a prince. But before he can declare his love, her lustful twin, the black swan, tricks and seduces him. Devastated, the white swan leaps off a cliff, killing herself, and in death, finds freedom. Well, that's just a direct parallel to the movie, isn't it? I mean, yeah, like it's it's very clear. It's just that that last bit of like in in my eyes, she achieves her goal. She she succeeds in in winning the affection of the prince, which in this case is getting the role, performing it on stage, and doing good. And uh, but then still dies at the end, which um, isn't the seems prince like a the director? Dichotomy. Though I mean. Yeah, but I mean, she she gets him in that he chooses her. You know, Mila Kunis does not perform on stage, therefore she wins the prince. But she becomes um, the Black Swan, and Mila Kunis was a doppelganger of herself. So really, I, yeah. I in which case, becomes, but the Black Swan doesn't die at the end. So when mm-hmm. Natalie Portman's character dies, it again doesn't match up. So either way, she becomes the White Swan again when she realizes she stabbed herself. I think. If, and I'm just playing it off the cuff here. I'm not trying to be uh, uh, mm-hmm. adversarial or whatever to your opinion, but I think maybe that I'm trying to like make it work, right? I'm trying to fit the puzzle pieces in. Hopefully I'm not hammering the wrong piece in, but I, I guess that, you know, at some point after, but then she does do the dance again. So I don't know. And maybe the uh, idea is that instead of uh, her out is learning to love herself or something. Um, maybe that's a little too... Um, saccharine but uh, that may be another interpretation yeah i don't feel like the ending is a a, a good ending and the name and then naming black it black swan i think kind of pretends that that it's not you know it's not gonna be a rosy ending um if I don't I don't know if the director was necessarily a prince i mean literal translation that's definitely what it looks like but more figuratively, her love to get the part or to get the part right or something along those lines and having to kill herself to aspire to that love. Like she wanted the feeling of being cut, you know, in the ending of the play to know what the swan goes through. She's going to the and obviously she's she's suffering. You know, you know what I mean? A breakdown mm-hmm, of sorts. Mm-hmm. That she, that she is so willing to go to the extreme um, for her craft, and I, I don't, I don't think that's a, you know, because these, these are the extremes that are above and beyond. You know, this is not Absolutely. normal stuff. You know, you know, and so I, I feel like in that sense, she is the black swan, even though she's done everything that the white swan should do according to how that play was explain to us and so it's a perversion yeah i could see that um i also feel like what you said earlier was so applicable about it being poetry and that i think that aronofsky leaves some of it open to our interpretation in that sense Mm -hmm. um and maybe maybe even purposefully uh leads us to be able to interpret it many different ways um his previous film before this was the wrestler and it ended in a very similar way 
even with a leak being one of the final images in the film, um, and with the theme being people who are willing to give their very lives for their craft. Um, so this is again mm -hmm. one of those things where the same theme that interests a director crops up again and again. Um, but uh, we haven't heard much from Pepe. Did you want to add anything into what you might uh, be thinking about interpreting the the plot? Um, well, I mean, I think that this movie is like about a ton of things. Um, yeah. yeah. But, I, but I think, I mean, one of the, I think, important things to do with it is to like track when Mila Kunis is like the real Mila Kunis and not Natalie Portman and like figure out when she's when she's when she's by herself, basically, and when she's not. Okay. Um, um, yeah, because I, I don't know, I saw this movie as being much more about like Natalie Portman, Natalie Portman's character, Nina, like trying on this like personality that everybody around her, or at least her director and Mila Kunis, like or at least her like imagined Mila Kunis like wants her to be. Um, her mother obviously doesn't want her to be that, but she also doesn't really want to be what her mother wants her to be either. Um, and so I think she is like, she's like playing out being this like hypersexual person that she just isn't. Yeah, isn't normally, I guess, uh, or hasn't been in her life. Um, and she has this like. And so all these visions that she has and like all these like metamorphoses, this like like the like the, the chicken skin on her back and stuff. Mm -hmm. That's all that's all like a, a manifestation of the like inner conflict that she has about becoming this different person that her director is like telling her she needs to become in right. order to like dance the black swan who's supposed to be this who's supposed to be like a seductress right and you see that like her like the director like when she's dancing with that guy and the director goes would you fuck that girl and the dancers the dancer doesn't say anything but the director because the dancer's probably like yeah i'd fuck her but the director's like, no, no one would fuck her, <laughs> you know. <laughs> he um, stepped in real quick, the answer's on Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, and so, like, I thought that that... I thought that that was sort of, like, the big part of the movie was, like, her trying to decide whether she wants to achieve success by, like, making herself into a sex object. Um. Yeah, I thought that was I thought I thought that was the main sort of thrust of that, so to speak, of the movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, um and all that other stuff we've been talking about. Like, yeah, right. Yeah. Just to make a joke though. Um yeah. Uh no, continue, continue. And so all but I and I think all those other things that we've been talking about sort of revolve around that and like the thing the the ideas that Cap brought up too, like have to do with that also. Um, and I, and actually I've been thinking about, I think I've been thinking a lot about the relationship between her and her director, 
Um, and I was I was trying to figure out like specifically at what point does it like go too far? Um, because like I was the thinking movie back, or the plot. Uh, in like at what point in between Nina? Yeah, uh, and her Pro- director. Um, that professional because I could like. I'm thinking back on the things that like, so I, I, in my undergraduate, I did philosophy Mm -hmm. in my master's program, we did theology. And a lot of the stuff you talk about in those things is like, they're, they're, they're hot button issues. Right. Mm -hmm. And part of the, like, part of the, like dynamic is that like the professor who is like, in a, in a, like, not on your level necessarily as far as, like, power dynamics go, like, part of their job is to, like, challenge the ideas that you have. Yes. About things. And I could see, like, I, I, and so that's, so that's why I was trying to, like, figure out where their relationship crosses the line. And, and it might be that when he, like, invites her back to her apartment, but even then, I don't really know. Like, he could be like, look, this person that you're playing is like a seductress and you don't seem to me to be, to have a very like active sex life, but that's a thing you need to like get in touch with to literally embody this character more. Yeah. Right. Yes. Part of his direction. Yeah. Um, And, and in the movie, like our, I think nowadays, especially our, like, our like sensitivity is up so high that we're like, Oh, this is uh-huh. fucked up. Like he shouldn't be doing that. Yeah. And that may be the case, but I'm not necessarily sure that it is. And I, and I, but I could be convinced otherwise. And I think that it's um, a, an interesting question. No, I'd I love certainly to speak on that too. Uh, but go ahead, Devin. I, I was just going to briefly say that. I certainly think that like, like you say all the time, Pepe, I don't think the movie, if the movie wanted us to think that the director was a sexual predator, they could have done that very easily. And they uh-huh. didn't like, they, they were not clear enough about that. And I think that means they, they did not want us to interpret it as being over the line at any point that he was, I mean, clearly it, like as soon as he kisses her, that's like over the line, that's a sexual assault, like period. But I don't think the film is trying to portray him as like a predator. It, they're just trying to portray him as someone who is way overly dedicated to getting the right performance out of his dancers, like to a, to a bad degree, but that is what he's trying to do. He's not just doing see, it for lustful purposes. Yeah. To me, I see that as the rationale. I mean, um, and we're getting into that area of what does the movie want us to interpret rather than what we read? Because I read it as yes, he was a sexual predator and his, Thin rationale was I'm trying to get a performance, so we just well, did, read that differently. Did he ever like try to have sex with them? It always, I mean, there were certain points where when he was kissing, and that's how you do it. I seduced you, and he just walks away and he turned it off. But that, that's to a, me, that's part of his manipulation um, to make them think it, it's them, you know. And, and it and it could be, but I, I just feel like part of this also is. Being in, in that high pressure cooker situation and being so close to each other, you know, the mm-hmm, hours mm-hmm. of practice, you, you know, moving more. bodies while he's observed, like, and I don't want to, I don't want to shift this into like a victim thing. Sure. sure. Um, but Natalie Portman, there, there was some scene like 
where one of the other ballerinas is, oh, you have a crush on him, don't you? So I, I don't know if that's part of Which Stockholm ties Syndrome. In, well, it definitely ties, well, whether or not it's that, it definitely ties into the plot of Black Swan, which is, is yeah. a parallel of. So you're not sure. wrong there. Um, yeah. Now, as far as blending the boundaries, you know, mm -hmm. what you should and shouldn't do, uh, the way I see it, unless it's just literal, like very clear cut, but I, I think this movie was, they did on purpose to blend the lines and where the relationship is because it nothing was ever fixed. She was always moving. Even her relationship with her mother was moving in, in a different direction. Her mm -hmm. relationship with Myla Kunis's character, well, you couldn't tell if it was dream or real. She's imagining she's not, everything is just blended in together. But to, the way I heard your question, Pepe, is uh, what someone should and should not do that mainly I feel like falls, unless it's just clear cut, of course, mainly falls into like ethics and, and it, and it's the ethics of your profession. So, you know, um, you know, a doctor or even like a counselor, you, you know, you don't go to someone's apartment, um, unless it's a house call, you know, and that, and that was agreed upon. And that's how you, you function is going to someone's home. You know, there, there's very clear ethics that you have to set boundaries not clear not ethics too. in the in the sense of it's clear cut because it's not clear cut ethics are very gray but clear cut in the sense of you have to have boundaries when it comes to client and you know counselor but this is different you know so what are the ethics with that profession you know working yeah. day in and day out in such close intense proximity so and not only are there like blurred lines uh and those roles are kind of blended between what you were saying, Jim, you know, professional mm -hmm. and personal. Um, but we're also mm -hmm. dealing with a very unreliable narrator here, which yeah. comes into play as what really happened, you know, um, what can right. really True. actually happen and what was her interpretation. So there's a lot of stuff there to sort of wade through. And I don't know, I, I think you can almost get lost trying to figure out where those lines are, if there are indeed any. Um, yeah. However, uh, to play uh, uh, maybe God's advocate here uh, rather than devil's advocate, um, <laughs> as, a, as a director, um, the ca this is why I say casting is 80% because you should know your talent's range uh, before you cast. And if you are calling someone frigid and they need to play a role uh, that you don't think they're capable of playing, um, he should never have cast her in the first place as this role. Uh, and then and knowingly casting her in the role, knowing what her range was, and he did, they did set up that he knew that, then to try to push her to be able to do that and then uh, cross those professional lines, which I think do exist in legal lines um, in some mm -hmm. cases, that could open them, open them up to uh, all kinds of legal problems down the road, um, which we have seen play out in Hollywood, uh, uh, he should have known better. Um, if sure. indeed this is what he was doing. Um, and I did read hit him as being a, a predatorial in that sense, just that he always was like kind of slick with the veneer of, oh, well, you know, we're all in this kind of pressure cooker and these lines get blurred. And I, oh, he, he always has some kind of thing where he'll fall back and like, oh, I was just directing you. You know, it was always under the guise of uh -huh. that, but I didn't see it as him being innocent in that sense. And so I, I, 
I can see that. Um, the only caveat was she did deliver that. Per- I mean, the things that she did to herself to deliver that performance. I think that's what the disturbing part. Yeah. Sure. But she did. So did he have that vision? Did he always have that vision that she could do it? Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to say. Um, yeah, and but that's, no, I mean, if I knew I had to push someone that far to get a performance, yeah. I would have just cast Mila Kunis and been like, let's call it a day, you know? Well, but that, was, that was the central tension of the movie, though, was that like he knew that he could be because like you need the same person playing both roles. Right. And he knew that Mila, uh, that Mila Kunis's character, Lily, wasn't going to be the white swan. But he did know. Mm-hmm. But he did see, see that he could, that yeah. she could be the black swan, and he saw that Natalie Portman was going to be a spectacular white swan, and maybe saw something in her that he thought could make her the black swan too. The other, and That's then and then when this new girl shows up, Natalie Portman gets it in her head like somehow they're like, oh okay, this new girl, she's she. I think Natalie Portman sort of like projects onto her onto Lily. Uh, Mila Kunis's character, like the Black Swan, and that's why she becomes like this sort of sinister character throughout. Even though I don't, even though I think most of the time, most of the time when we see those like more, I don't know how you call it, like dramatic scenes with with Mila Kunis, it's just Natalie Portman. It's just her by herself. Um, I don't think mm. Mila Kunis is there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I mean. That is a great point. Um, and it reminds me of The Simpsons, actually, to, to lighten this up a little bit. Um, there's, a, there's, a line, there's a line in The Simpsons where, where uh, Homer is walking out of the, the fair and he has the stiff shirt and he's all, See, Marge, I told you I could uh, uh, deep fry my shirt. <laughs> she says, I didn't say you couldn't. I said you shouldn't. And so, I mean, it kind of reminds me of that. It's like, okay, well, maybe right, yeah. he did see that potential there, but uh, he still shouldn't have done it. Um, but, you know, he has his own pressures and motivations there. But uh, also, bring, just to speak one more time about what we bring to it and read it, as someone who's been in that position of being a director and someone who hopes to be in that role again, maybe I'm bringing my own uh, morality to what I'm reading from sure. the movie. Right. And so I'm like, I would never do that. And, and I would, you know, so I'm seeing the director. Yeah, and you like, probably oh, shouldn't. Awful. No, yeah, right. of course. Right. You know, we all kind of know that. So the, I just kind of read it as kind of sleazy, I guess, is what I'm saying. But I know. But I think like the interesting thing about like, so let's just for the sake of argument, say that he what the director did really got the like best performance of all time of the Swan queen right let's just say right. for the it sake did. of argument that he that did is, accomplish yeah. that yes well let's just say he did right so then we asked well okay was the way he went about doing it like good or okay or whatever and like we've talked about this before with like kubrick and what did to like shelly duvall Absolutely. on the shining and like yep yeah uh-huh. you can get these great performances out of people but like the reason why that's not a great thing to do is because like shelly duvall wasn't like consenting to having the like shit scared out there of her is. constantly and being in a state of like Ugh, horror all the time, thing. right? Yeah. Or like like the other actors that were playing next to like Jared Leto when he was the Joker weren't like consenting to him doing all that fucking stupid shit to them to God. get into character, you know? Yeah. But like yeah. there are but like you can do that, right? Like 
you can like um be in a war movie and like consent to the director like being like okay you're gonna spend a week with the navy seals during Uh hell week and you can be like i agree yes but like that's that's the difference right is that like you say yes to the thing rather than the director just like forcing you to do it point yeah there should be consent and disclosure of what they're signing up for not surprise i've got i'm getting what i want from you that's what i was going to mention is that that's another one of the like themes of the film is like what are you willing to sacrifice for your craft which is like a I think a common thing these days, like a lot of people talk about like the idea of like romanticizing your own mental illness in order to like, you know, write good poetry or whatever, you know, it's like a a very big conversation. It's like, what, what is worth sacrificing to make good art? Mm -hmm. Um, Speaking about uh, what you had said, Ben, earlier about bringing your own sense of morality, your own background, your own sensitivities, that's completely okay. You know, there's more than one way to enjoy a film. It's interesting to see how, you know, your morality and your sensitivities and all of that brush up against the fabric of the film, right? That's what makes for interesting conversation. I also feel, though, that at times, you know, in addition to that, recognizing what your, your sense of, you know, ethics and morality and all that are, but try to see it from character because one thing we're talking about is the meta right actors and actresses you know that are making the movies and what they're willing to do but but what was happening is we're talking about the characters in the film right so this is part of the story itself so i always find it fascinating to get in the head of why is that character doing that right so obviously i wouldn't do that or you know 99 percent of cases i wouldn't do something you know like, like that <clears throat> but it's interesting to see it from their their viewpoint like for instance you know we had an interesting conversation about you know buffalo bob in silence of the lambs buffalo why bill, does that character a buffalo bill yeah why does that character do the things that he's doing and that and, and i would never do those things but it's interesting you know and that makes oh, also for a conversation to add to that, yeah. I also wasn't aware that that's what I was bringing. I thought it was just like clear, yeah, that that's the the interpretation. But during our conversation, it became uh, came to light that we were maybe reading that differently, and so yeah. um, I think a lot of people um, may interpret what they saw in a film or you know a text that they're reading uh, a certain way and, um, think that that is a, you know, not a subjective opinion, you know, sure, uh, subjectivity, sure. uh, when I think that a lot of this stuff is more subjective than we tend to think, even being aware that there is that subjectivity. I was, I thought that it was objective, that he was objectively crossing a line and being a sleazebag basically. Yeah. And I feel like 90% of movies, you've seen behavior like that. You would be like, that's not, you know what I mean? And that's where it lays. But having watched some of this, these directors, other movies, uh, Requiem for a Dream was great. Um, yeah. There's great. there's a lot and of la- layers there. Yeah, there's a lot of layers. That, and it's always dark, right? But there's a lot mm-hmm. of layers mm-hmm. there. So it's not just a clear cut. This director is being a sleazeball. I think there's, uh, you could definitely take it as that and leave like that. It's fine. Like, yeah. I feel like there's nuances there. 
there and is. if you wanted to, you could see more, you know? So, Which well, yeah, is I nice think... about talking about it. I mean, just to really quickly mm -hmm. inject that. I mean, because a lot of this stuff I become aware of once we discuss it. And, and that's what I find valuable in hearing other people's opinions about what they saw, you know, because we see different things. Sure. Yeah. And I, I think it's also hard to just keep a track keep track of what their actual relationship is, uh, Nina mm -hmm. and the director. Because, mm -hmm. like, for example, like, there's the scene where she, I don't remember at what point in the movie this happens, but, like, there's that scene where, like, she's in the studio late by herself, and she, like, walks yep. out, and she sees the director and Lily having sex, right? And if that's, and if that's really her, or her imagining that, like how you read that scene changes a lot of the like dynamic between Nina and Tomah, right? The director. Yeah. Um, I, I wouldn't go so far as to say that it like makes it okay. The things that he was doing to her, because again, I don't think that, but then again, like we don't know how she's acting a hundred percent of the time. Right. Um, we don't know if what like, she's seeing is real. Right. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of ambiguity in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. In, in terms of the unreliable narrator thing, I think, and, and in regards to that scene, my my I guess theory as what what how I interpreted the film was that any time that she hallucinates something, mm -hmm. the entire like thing is fake. So like because she sees her face on Lily in that scene, it means none of that is real. Like she's not seeing any of that because there are long periods where we see her interacting with characters like Nina. And not hallucinating at all. Like when they go out drinking and they have that whole uh -huh. like, night together, she doesn't hallucinate a single time during that until the end when she hallucinates that Nina's with her. But we don't even know at that point that is hallucination. But uh -huh. like they have long periods where she and Nina interact and there are no hallucinations, like nothing's going on. And I think those are the scenes where she's actually with her. And any scene where the face changes or anything like that happens, it's like, okay, that's just fake. And I think that scene in particular was meant to represent yeah that he chose her and she because that was right after she'd been picked as the understudy and was in her costume and everything. Sure, sure. I think that there's some probably some uh, consistency with that idea. Um, you know, a movie like this that really is uh, with the unreliable narrator and so many uh, things leaving open to reading them and interpretation, it really does open up movies like this to for rewatchability more so than maybe anything else. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Can can I add what I uh, the little tidbit I found out about Black uh, Black Swan just yeah, in general? Yeah, go for it. Um, and it's removed from this play, but I, I guess it got it's got quite the etymology. But I found two things ascribed to a Black Swan. So uh, the first is a Black Swan is an unpredictable event beyond what is normally expected and has potentially severe consequences. Um, and then the second definition I got was Tracks. a symbol of person, a personal power. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. And I was thinking maybe in a roundabout way, that's why this movie is called the black swan. Cause normally a great play would go up. The director works very closely with, you, you know, the ballerinas or whatever, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. they have a smashing performance. But in this mm -hmm. case, uh, you know, what would we would normally envision it became an unfortunate, you know, tragic. Yeah. She descended into madness. Uh, there were so many lines that were blurred, you know, the lines of reality with relationships. And maybe that's the point. 
that all of this was blurred. She had no one to, no confidant, really. She descended no, she a madness. Really Not even herself. Yeah. Yeah. And she gave a great performance, but she had to die to do it. That's yeah. unforeseen and tragic, you know? So it tracks with that, that um, <clears throat> aphorism. Um, of of being a, or of a black swan event which i wasn't aware of but that makes mm -hmm. the title of the movie make a lot more sense actually so mm -hmm. thank you for that uh contribution let me just um oh go ahead pepe yeah I'll just while we're on the first. while we're on the subject of the ending there is a way i think uh to read this as not a tragedy um okay because it reminded me i can't remember if this is a, a greek or a roman story but the romans stole their stories from the greeks anyway so but anyway <laughs> sure, sure. so it's a story about these two brothers who have an, an aged mother who made this sort of like pious promise to make this pilgrimage for a god or a goddess i don't remember which god it was um and it's to climb to like this very high mountain and a very very treacherous path to go up this mountain and she's too old to do it and she can't do it anymore, but it's time for her to make this pilgrimage. And she's promised it to the gods that she's going to do it. Right. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. the two brothers go to incredibly great pains of like dragging their mother up to the top of this hill in like a cart. Right. Okay. Um, and when they when they get to the top, the god, I think it's one of the goddesses, the goddess rewards the two brothers by killing them instantly because they could achieve nothing greater in their lifetime than doing what they had just done. And they so literally she, reached a pinnacle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And their, their life their life could only go downhill from there. So I, I want right. to say it was Athena granted them this blessing of killing them. So they immediately like went to the Elysium fields, you know. And and I think and that reminded me of the end of this movie, right? Because that's like the thing that she says before she dies. She says, I was perfect. And yeah. then she dies. Good, good, good mm. observation. Um, but the Greek, the Greeks have seem to have a bunch of different sensibility about things than we do. They love tragedies <laughs> too. They literally, love yeah, them. yeah. So, I mean, that's yeah. pretty good. No, but that's a really great uh, uh, observation. I mean, she she died happy. That's for sure. Yeah, um, well, and also, you can say the same thing for the wrestler. So, I mean, that's a theme that he likes to uh, to hit on. <clears throat> It's also like important to note that she died like as the white swan. That's like the, the whole arc, mm. I guess, she goes on is right. that in her hallucination, she kills Mila Kunis. She kills the black swan, right. her dark half. And in doing so, that that is when she transitions back to the white swan and finishes, you know, and finishes it as the white swan, as the perfect, you know, virgin, pure white swan. Yeah. She yeah, basically makes that decision to uh, to stay as she is, not be corrupted. Yeah, she also she also seems to be like she likes ballet for the sake of it, right? She doesn't she sees no further end to it. Like she has a love of the thing itself, right? Mm -hmm. And she like that's the that's the reason why she wants to do this like perfect thing because she sees ballet as this like end in itself. It's a thing that you do for no other reason than doing it, right? Um, and and I think it, I think at least for her character, maybe like achieving that thing that she did, be doing it perfectly and doing it 
not for any further reason, not because she wanted to impress Toma or not because she wanted to show Mila Kunis that she was like the sexier one or whatever, but because she did it for herself, for, for like her love of ballet. And she did it after like killing that other part of herself. I think it's, yeah, I think that she, at least the character at least might have been happy in, in that moment of dying. So my my question is, why is the movie <clears throat> named the Black Swan rather than the White Swan? Then, yeah, I, I think you question. made your own point earlier that that it ties more into the aphorism of a Black Swan event uh, mm. than yeah. than the literal parallel that the Black Swan story is. So you kind of get the best of both worlds, is how I'm reading it now. Yeah, from our discussion. I mean, you get your parallel, the Black Swan story, and then you get your uh, kind of clever title, right? Uh, oh, but she, she, she is also the Black Swan, right? She's both of them, you know? She has a certain points, yeah, right? Um, does she, are you saying that she is, uh, like, finds some kind of a balance or that she's uh, being uh, somehow, like, uh, playing both at the same time or... Well, I, I mean, I think she, I think she achieves, or like she, I mean, in the movie, she like achieves the role, right, to like its fullest yeah, extent, yes, which okay, means okay. she's the white and the black swan. Yeah, she does um, them both. Yeah. And in a certain sense, this movie is about the black swan, right, because it like it becomes her central focus. It's like, how it do I be focus. a black swan? You know? Yeah, yeah. Because she, mm. like, like Tomas says, like the black, the white swan comes naturally to her. Right. But it's like the black swan that she has to, like, discover how to be and right. like, discover how right. to exist as her, the white, presumably the white swan, while also like having this like black swan part of her. You know? No, you're right. And if it was Mila Kunis's story, we'd probably have to call it the white swan uh, if we were going the other way. Right. Right. Yeah. Because then it would be about her trying to become more like Natalie Portman's character. Um, so I'll play a clip that I wanted to play earlier, but I'm wondering if playing it back will uh, enlighten us more as to how we're interpreting the director and using that sexual, you know, blurring of that line uh, as direction or, or uh, if he is crossing a line that is clearly there. Uh, so this is the scene where he's trying to direct her to go home as like a homework assignment and masturbate, basically. Mm -hmm. And you enjoy making love? Excuse me. Oh, come on. Sex. Do you enjoy it? <laughs> well, we need to be able to talk about this. I got a little homework assignment for you. Go home and touch yourself. Live a little. So I'm I'm having probably even a harder time as, since we talked interpreting that one way or the other because I can kind of see it both ways. Uh, but it almost comes down to me again with like, I don't see how he saw that potential for her. I would just see, okay, this person just doesn't have the range to portray the black swan and I would have tried to look for someone else maybe. 
Um, well, I think part of it is is that she is so good at the white swan. It's like we, we focus very heavily on the black swan in this film because that's what she's yeah. uh, that's her goal. But we ignore the fact that she's like maybe the perfect white swan, like absolutely picture perfect. And that's why it's like, like, you know, she can achieve that role so well that, you know, uh, uh, hoeing the road to get her to be a black swan is worth it because she already has the white swan so well down in pet. And she plays yeah. it so sweetly and innocently when he wants to discuss sex with her. Like she really did a great job of portraying that in a believable mm -hmm. naturalistic sense. Yeah, and that, that's another one of those scenes where, like, I, I feel the like I, I felt that he was not being portrayed as a predator because, like, he could have just as easily in that sentence been like, "Do you enjoy sex? Okay, let's go have some." Like, yeah, we're in my house, we're drinking alcohol, yeah. let's go have sex. Like, you know, it yeah, would have been as simple it, as anything, but he I said, "No, go towards it." Maybe yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah, it's more it's morally gray. It it for some reason, like Ruth Westheimer sticks in my mind and and for us on this podcast i don't know ruth westheimer was like the ultimate sex doctor in the mm -hmm. 80s before dr Do drew and yeah, yeah dr and she would straight up say go home and masturbate she would say it yeah she would yeah. say matter of fact, sex yeah. is a healthy expression we hide it too much here in america and i think she was german she, was she is also does like not that. bring that power dynamic to the table she is a clinician and Yes. Um, someone who would be able to take that role without, I don't think Dr. Ruth's trying to inch me towards jumping in bed with Dr. Well, Ruth. So, and, so that's, and so that's the context. But in this context, neither right. was the guy. The guy said, go home and masturbate, not masturbate in front of me. I saw um, that as grooming so, behavior. And yeah, it very right. well could be. It goes along more of that pimp that we were, I was talking about earlier. Yeah, but yeah. let me ask you a question. If the director had been a woman and said that, would it have the same feel? Probably not, but that's also me bringing my own baggage along with it. I mean, I guess it could be. I, I don't yeah. think I would have the same knee-jerk reaction, though, probably, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. to be honest, I wouldn't either. Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, I think that, like, Devin, you talked about, like, how does the movie want us to feel about him? And I, and I thought that, I thought that the movie wanted us to be pretty much constantly on guard against mm. to, towards that guy. I mean, they make him like yeah. just the fact that he's like European, like presumably French, right? Like that's just like a symbol, right? Like, yeah, you know, like right. if he was carrying a baguette, you know, and like a striped shirt, you know, um, and yeah, what's I, th the, I think what's that the hat the, called? Oh, the beret, yeah, yeah, the beret. Yeah, oh, so oh, oh. I, yeah, I think that I think the the movie wanted us to be wary of him, um, and I think I think the movie was heavily sort of leaning towards also the uh, us thinking, of that actor. Yeah, portray, yeah, not only does he kind of have a hawkish look to him or a vulturous look, don't they actually show him looking like a bird of prey at some point, like in her yeah vision? Yep, if I'm remembering mm -hmm. correctly, I think so. Yeah, when when he's having well, she could be envisioning all of this, but when he's sure. having sex with uh, 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 Kunis's character, oh yeah, he, that's right. he he it flashed over that he was a black bird. But yeah. um, go, going to your point, Pepe, I I there's a ring of truth to that. They made us, it, they wanted us to be uncomfortable 
uh, even deeply uncomfortable with the director, but it not being so clear cut, it it being more nuanced, you can become extremely uncomfortable, but not be able to pinpoint exactly where that uncomfortability is is coming from. But it's definitely there because I I did. I felt uncomfortable with the things that he was telling her. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So we were in her shoes in that sense, because she obviously Mm -hmm. felt the same way. Right. She was our proxy Mm -hmm. for that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even listening to that last to that clip you played, I was thinking to myself, like, like, okay, well, how do you make this? So it's like, okay, okay. Right. And I was thinking to myself, like, well, okay, maybe he says, like, he says, like, okay, we're gonna we need to talk about some stuff. And if it makes it if it gets to the point where it's uncomfortable, say so, and I'll stop. But but then I thought to myself, even in that situation, it doesn't really change the power dynamic. Right. Like, no. because he's still the boss right he's still the one that she's like looking up to yeah and so i don't know i don't know and how... she wants the role it's she and he knows that you know she's yeah, trained I mean, her maybe... life for this and her and she's been not only wants it for herself but she's being pushed into it and a, a lot of these uh stage parents you know their kids become the breadwinner for the family so she has a responsibility uh-huh. Uh, yeah, this is their right. ticket out in that in the um i don't know if it was in the show or not but i talked about watching the, a documentary with the kid who didn't get cast as anakin skywalker in in the prequel uh and how he kind of felt like later on that he dodged a bullet even though he wanted it at the time he was living in a uh, one-bedroom studio apartment in la uh they had to keep he acted in a couple of shows kids don't get paid well at least back then they didn't um, per diems, uh, he mentioned this, uh, actors get per diems every day. And a lot of actors use that money to go out and get lunch or dinner or whatever. And that's cash that you get to spend. He had to keep his to pay rent. He didn't get to enjoy that aspect of it. He was the breadwinner. And so, yeah, there's a lot of pressure for her. And the director is probably very aware of that or even whether or not he's yeah. aware of that. Uh, maybe he was less aware of that, uh, but that just, that still doesn't make it okay. I guess is my point. Yeah. I mean, I think he was, I think he was aware that i mean he had to be aware that like that there was some some level right yeah right i i i do i mean i have to think though that there there would have been some way just because i think it occurs like there are people out there who like there are directors out there who have to direct people to do things that they wouldn't normally do in their day-to-day lives and they do it in a proper way. Right. So there must, and it's almost typical. So you're not wrong. Right. Yeah. So there must be like a correct way to do it. But I think it seems like we all agree that like, there was definitely something wrong with what was going on, but to like, then go and like figure out like how he could have done it right. Is a, is a, is a tricky, tricky problem on its own. Yeah. Maybe sometimes you have to give up the idea that you're going to wreck someone's life to get possibly a better performance and but even, just go with Amila Kunis and, you know, see that yeah, she but, might have the range to do the white swan, uh, a good job at the white swan and is capable of doing both. Uh, yeah. I was just going to say, but if he was going to, if he was like doing the same shit to her, like it wouldn't, like it, it wouldn't, he be wouldn't a, have to. You know. Uh, if you're talking about Mila Kunis, right? He would yeah, have to yeah. go there to her to with her, and it would be easier, and there would be no lines crossed. Oh, I see, I see what you that, mean. Yeah, you know. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. That he would he would be able to get a performance without having to do that, and he whatever, however, he would have to push her to do the white swan part. He wouldn't be having to cross those lines. Let me just say it like that, right? Yeah. Okay. I see what you mean. Yeah, that's sure. a good point. Yeah. 
But I mean, you know, uh, he doesn't overtly do the thing. So I guess the question is, does it matter if he's being overt or not um, to say maybe objectively or as objectively as we can that he is doing something wrong, right? Yeah, I mean, I I would I would vote in the doing something wrong category. Like, uh, yeah, especially knowing what we know now with all the Me Too stuff that came out that was so long swept under the rug, um, even during the time that this film was made and conceptualized. Um, yeah, we learned some of the dirtiest, ter- most terrible things uh, that were rumored or we thought might be. Um, uh, exaggerations uh, turned out to be absolutely true. Yeah, I think that the question for me, at least, is not whether or not what he did is wrong. I think it's just mm-hmm. what his motivations were. If he was motivated mm. purely by lust for her or by a, a deep desire to get the play, you know, to get the performance he wanted out of her. And yeah. either way, I think he, he what he did was horrible. It's just, I don't think he ever really was lusting after her in that in that sense i think also that his manipulation went even deeper um because i again this is just a theory but i think that mm-hmm. he is the one who sent uh Mila Kunis's character to uh her apartment natalie portman's apartment to mm. take her out drinking and like specifically maybe even told her to uh because uh, he also set up sort of making her mad he like he wants to get emotion out of her he wants to get her to react to stuff and that's Damn. i think why he told her that like i heard you were complaining about me to to you know to her and then sent her to the apartment to get her to go out drinking like really trying to get her like emotions up get that transformation which is even more yeah. fucked up and manipulative <laughs> wow it it reminds me of uh the movie whiplash have have we all seen whiplash 2014 not. Uh, is that the dr- the drumming one? Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. Because he literally does that very thing. J.K. Simmons' character brings another drummer in that was literally there just to push the drummer that he saw the potential in, uh, in, in, a, in a certain direction. So I think that's probably an astute observation that, uh, that very well could have been a thing. Even though they don't objectively say that, that may have been something that the writer um used as a tool the kind of like how i've spoke about you know the movie that you see is the 10 percent of the iceberg above the water right and a lot of these things just aren't necessary uh as far as showing them overtly in the film uh it's more important that you know it as the writer so i think that's that's a pretty good uh observation there let me play one last uh clip um and this is just the scene well it's toward it's it is like leading up to the end of the movie when she faces down Mila Kunis and and becomes the black swan herself before her final performance, uh, which I've called the stabbing. <laughs> and you'll find out why, if you don't already know. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, rough start, huh? Must have been pretty humiliating. Get out of my room. See, I'm just, I'm worried about the next act. Just not sure you're feeling up to it. Stop. Please stop. How about I dance the black swan for you? Leave me alone!
my turn. Great sound effects. Eyes go glowy. She stabs her. Really cool. Um, yeah, I was actually I was going to bring up sound effects uh, as a perfect transition because we've been focusing on plot for so long. Yeah, I figured, you know, talk about some technicality. I thought the sound effects in this were incredible or the, the sound work in general was Very incredible, uh, especially how it, it seemed to transition. This is something that totally stuck out to me from um, uh, what's the what's the word for the, the sound that's in the world of the movie? Diegetic diegetic yeah. it transferred when yeah. she was sane in the beginning and normal it was very diegetic they used there was still some sort of horror elements when she like sees she thinks she sees herself but a lot of the sound effects they use are like the sound of the subway and like the like sewer grates of new york and stuff like that they're using a lot of like in-universe stuff and then as she slipped from sanity it became more and more traditional horror movie sound effects and intense music to to really yep. get that emotion across and with someone that like really cool. at aronofsky's level you have to credit the director and the talent on uh, the talented team he had alongside him as doing these things deliberately. Um, sometimes I hear people say who aren't involved with film, like, did they mean to do that? It's like, well, if it's a good movie, most likely. Yeah, you got to assume they did, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, intent is uh, a huge part of that. Every little pixel on that frame, there's intent behind it. So, yes, we got to give credit where credit is due. They, they did that intentionally. Um, yeah, just to talk about some lighter stuff. Um, uh, the swirly game in the, be in the beginning, though, uh, did give me motion sickness. Did anyone else feel that when they were swirling around her? Um, and if not, that's fine. But I, it leads me to question uh, to question Devin about you know, the ick factor. Uh, yeah, I wanted know, to know anything, how you managed to make it through this movie. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Pepe, you were very right about the fingernail thing. That is not. I, I straight up closed my eyes during all those scenes. Didn't look oh, at them at all. Didn't. It was nope, bad. None of that. Yeah, no, that was rough. Uh, on me. I was worried about you, bro. <laughs> yeah, no, not into that. <laughs> that was that was difficult. That okay. scene where she's picking the hangnail and then it just like goes oh, up the entirety yeah. of her finger. Oh, man, yeah. that's so brutal. That's some body yeah. horror for real. Um, as far as how they filmed it and what equipment they used, because it kind of had a, like an oldie feel of that. Was mm -hmm. was that anything that you could pin down for a spin? You know, I was so <clears throat> into the plot and the imagery that I didn't watch it with that hat on. So I'd almost have to yeah. go back. Is there anything specific that you can kind of jar my memory with? Mm, no, Not just you on just, the spot either. But no, not not at all. Just it 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 was a little like slightly grainy. And it could have been mm, my internet connection, mm, but it did have that no, kind of little grain. I mean, not as extreme as like Quentin Tarantino, what he does with some of his films, but still it was there. And it was more of a kind of a washed out look a lot, a yeah, lot of the I time. And that was purposeful. Yeah, it, it was filmed on, Definitely. it was filmed on 16 millimeter. Uh, that's, that's, I think that's what really? it is. Yep. Mm. It was super 16. Boom. Wow. That's just yep. like, not that's done. why. Yes. So there you go. That was also intentional. Yes. Yeah. Um, and it would awesome. have given it that sort of indie film feel that yeah. we, so some of us grew up with in the 90s and before. So, yeah, well spotted there, Jim. And uh, where did you get that fact from, Devin? Yeah, I had a hunch that maybe it was the the type of film. So I, I just did a quick Google, <laughs> found it. Nice. Well spotted. Yeah, very cool. Uh, structure wise, um, I always like to point out the midpoint. Um, when I notice a character changing or shifting, uh, and it was when she stands up to her mom for the first time. 
her mom is trying to take control of her at home and says, take off your shirt. You can, she wanted to check her shoulders mm-hmm. again. And she said, for, very forcefully, she said no to her. And that was literally the midpoint of the film. So structure-wise, uh, we got a sound structure going on there. Um, is there anything else you guys wanted? We talked a little bit about cinematography now then and structure. Um, there was there was one thing about the ending. Um, I was wondering if mm-hmm. you guys thought this too, because right, like the ending, she's supposed to have stabbed herself, right? Yeah. And she's wearing right. this like pure white dress with this like open wound on the middle of her body. Yeah. But yeah. then no one seems to notice that she's got this like red spot in the middle of her body until the very end. Um, mm. when My memory's like, failing oh, me. Did, well, yeah. Did, so she was, stabs, that on, was she on stage like that? Or did, yeah, she, she, or did it bleed through after? She, she pulls the piece out before she goes on stage and like blood is already soaking into her dress. So, yeah. 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 And so I was, I yeah, was, I it, it made me think that maybe that didn't, that she hadn't really stabbed herself and that her, and it was her jumping off the stage, injuring herself in some way other than her stab wound was what they were talking about. And that she yeah, hadn't actually like killed herself. Um, Another reason for me to rewatch it, to be honest. Yeah. I don't um, know. Did I, I, that just seemed I odd to it. me. I think I was misreading it then in that sense that I thought that it just hadn't bled through and, uh, uh, until after she was, her performance was complete. But, yeah, I think um, in the I think you guys may be correct about that. In the moment, I think I sort of just assumed that she bandaged it somehow, but not very well, and the jump reopened it, something like that. Right. But yeah, yeah it, that's what I it is sort of odd. Um, I would think that. I mean, it'd be hard for the audience to tell. They even give us at one point like a shot, like a view from the audience, and she's like so tiny and far away. It's like yeah, they probably wouldn't be able to even tell her. Even a big red spot probably wouldn't be that that visible. Probably, but. His. Her fellow dancers probably would have. <laughs> yeah, I mean that the ending scenes like that guy is like doing all sorts of lifts with her yeah. and like I mean that mm-hmm. would be going all over the place and she's wearing that like stark white dress. Show's and gotta go on. But I, I, I didn't yeah. I, I didn't want to chuck because like that's the sort of thing where you're like, oh, it's a movie. The plot needs to like wrap up, you know. And so you kind of like, well, we'll just ignore this for movie's sake, you know, but in a movie, well, well, yes, you always because have he knows ask, but... that a lot of this is unreliable and up to interpretation, uh, could have been fudged or intentional, and just not. Right. Yeah, that's the problem. Is yeah, it fudged or is it how, intentional? How know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, even if you were, th- you throw a little bit in there, like if you were an audience goer and you've seen that, and it was right at her death scene, you might think that's part of part of the show um not so easy when talking about the other dancers but yeah no but they don't want to get fired either so uh, and they did but they didn't have and they could have but they didn't have a shot of one of the dancers being like you know he Mm -hmm. picks her up gets blood on his hand you see him react like what the fuck right yeah They, they could have had that shot um but whatever for whatever reason he either was like yeah i'm gonna fudge this people know that i'm an uh, interpretation layered poem uh, poetic yeah, director right. and just kind of uh-huh. hid behind uh-huh. that that happens you know uh, yeah um or you know he just decided it wasn't important to address at that point and that the getting through that thrilling final act that had that um that momentum you know just needed to carry uh-huh. through without stopping to do that i don't know yeah yeah it wasn't part of the punch yeah right exactly yeah 
Yeah, I think it, I, my guess would be that it's just like a sort of like suspend your disbelief for a minute here while I finish this movie in a like good way, you know. But I because, also yeah. thought about it, Pepe. So it wasn't just you. So you're not wrong oh, to okay. acknowledge that because I also was like, well, what happened here? But I just like I said, I assumed that she kind of what or what Devin even said. I thought the same thing. She might have just slapped a bandage on there and it reopened when she was out there. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, you want, yeah, you make up, like, whenever That's there's me, discontinuity right? in movies, you kind of make up something in your head, right? You said it, man. Yep. If, mm -hmm. Especially if I like the movie, I'm willing to, like, fill that right, gap yeah. in my mind. Yeah, like, yeah, be, <laughs> right, doing things like that, like, being in a good movie, like, hides so many crimes, right? You know, it's just like, you don't yeah, care about no. it. You know, it's interesting, though, because it, it, it opens up, uh, and I, it opens up, uh, a thought about film theory to me and um, back to, you know, the, the very early days of film and the idea of montage that we don't have to shoot a movie like a play um, that you can cut that, that it was a, it was a huge revelation for filmmakers at the time, way back when, and we're talking early 1900s, you know, that you could cut from the bank robbers in the bank to a train coming and the audience would understand and bridge that gap in their mind. And so, you know, it's another version of that. And we take that kind of film language for, for granted now. But uh, mm -hmm. you know, that, that was a huge, huge revelation, you know, that, okay, well, we don't just have to set up a frame, uh, a camera, a still camera, and just, you know, do a play and then project it on a wall. We can do these other things, right? Because in the mind's mm -hmm. eye of the audience, they will make the connection. Yeah. And so right. here we are bridging that gap. But uh, I did notice it, though, all the same. But I didn't, I didn't, I guess maybe even if he knew we were going to notice that, I think the momentum, especially in the third act, uh, if they'd done it in the first act, we probably, I, I'd like to think we probably would have questioned it in more in depth and thought of it more of a plot hole. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can't, I can't, even if, even if they did something like how you described, like her male counterpart, like looking at his hand. Mm -hmm. Even if that was just for like a moment, it would still, it would be like a, a bump in the road of like this, this Wouldn't like it, it would, that like it would highlight Herman is coming to. Especially with that momentum going, yeah, it would right. it would distract us from what he wanted us to focus on. I think, yeah, um, yeah. but it also could have been fudging it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Well, um. I think we have enough here to tally up uh, uh, some grades for this thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, before we do that, uh, think about what grade you want to give it. But we'll take a little bit of a time for a short commercial break. And now a word from our sponsors. After a long day of dancing, don't your feet hurt? I get it. You're too tired to cook, and you're sick of DoorDash delivering soggy french fries. Why, we must be birds of a feather. But just crane your neck this away, and look at this elegant offer I have for you. Black Swanson Frozen Food Delivery Service has got you covered. Fly on over to our elegant webpage and add a flock of frozen food to your cart. And we'll fill your empty nest with a gourmet frozen cuisine that is guaranteed to satisfy. Trying to stay thin to score that lead role? 
Well, just dip your beak into a steaming hot bowl of our famous chowder and gobble away guilt-free. And if you don't like the food, just strap a couple boxes of frozen pizza to your feet and ice those barking dogs to sleep. Side effects include dancing to your own beat, winning an Academy Award, descent into madness, and bunions. Black Swanson <laughs> Frozen Food Delivery Service. Crazy good. <laughs> that was a good one. Oh, I, love, I love this, like... <laughs> I get it. Like, that's my favorite. That's my fucking favorite <laughs> thing. You. That's my favorite thing. I understand thing, you. Yeah, it's we got like, you. Look, I know. I know, dude. I'm not. I'm your. I'm your butt. I think that's so fucking funny. Oh man, I love. I love that. Just the more personal the ads get, I yeah. I think that's it works so for funny. me too. Yeah, let me draw you in with my relatability. Oh man, and I sell you this so crappy funny. frozen food. Did anyone ever? <laughs> did anyone ever get that Swans Swanson food? Yeah, that that Schwans. Yeah, the Schwans yeah, truck would come around, and you'd think, yeah. "Oh, it's the ice cream man," but no, it's just the fucking Schwans. <laughs> and it wasn't good, right? No, of course. <laughs> it was just convenient. And uh, okay, uh, tawdry story. <laughs> I can't believe I'm I mean, say this. I mean, all I of their food is made of you. swan. I mean, it's come on. It's yeah, close. yeah, yeah. Uh, so tawdry story. <laughs> When I was a kid and those guys were driving around the truck, everyone knew that the Swans guy was, um, let's say, uh, to put it bluntly, banging one of the housewives on the block. All the kids oh, knew man. they were out playing all summer long. It's like, why is the Swans guy parked there for two hours in their driveway? And the husband oh, wow. uh, wasn't home. And it was, I always remember that, like, geez. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, it was it was uh, something of... Um, it was something of a to do in the neighborhood back. When I was a kid. <laughs> I wonder, I wonder so how funny. much. I wonder how much you had to pay for that service. Oh yeah, right. I, was that was that included in the? Uh, oh yeah, the deluxe package. What? Yeah, the maybe. Yeah, right. Maybe they were just just filming a series of porn movies there, and that's just how it started. You know, like Schwann's delivery. Oh, how will I ever pay for this? I have no money. <laughs> You want this pizza, don't you? Frozen <laughs> yeah. terrible pizza. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, or maybe just porn movies aren't so far off from reality in some cases. My goodness. <laughs> yeah, oh, I always you had to that know. Guy. Oh, you had they had to have like role played that shit. Oh, for sure. Just like the sh the Schwan's guy delivering. Yeah. No, oh, we were, no. I mean, imagine us as a group of kids on bikes just like <laughs> He pulls up and goes in, and we're all just sitting there, you know, shaking our heads and watching, <laughs> yeah. like totally, like knowing what's going on. He he God rings the bell and she answers. He's like, "I have your beef stroganoff." Oh, yeah, exactly. So no, naughty. All, so bad. Yeah, I can't believe that was actually true, but yeah, it was a thing. Anyway, so um, have I given you guys enough Excellent. time to uh, come up with a grade yet? We're, oh yeah. Uh, okay, so let's let's do this thing. I'm still stuck on that memory. <laughs> My goodness, this just totally brought it back to life. Um, yeah. So um, I went into this movie kind of almost kicking and screaming and wondering like, what the heck? How does this have to do with Halloween? But after watching it. Um, not only do I see that the horror elements, uh, more so this on this rewatching here, 
Um, it's actually a pretty fantastic film and, and really well put together. Um, and um, I, I do see why Natalie Portman garnered the awards. And man, Darren Aronofsky just cannot miss, it seems like. Um, everything he oh, touches turns into gold. Oh, maybe I haven't seen that one. Now I want to know. Uh, just throw it in there. What? Which one? Which one should I watch that I missed that uh, that wasn't? Uh, well, Noah wasn't very good. I don't think. Oh, that was him. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. And I, then uh, that was a that was a strange one. And uh, mother was, in some oh, senses, good, too? and in some senses, not. Good, yeah. I haven't seen that yet. I know that was highly controversial. I, that's all I know. Well, about yeah, it. I don't know. It wasn't controversial else. for the right reasons, though. I was just, you know. oh, really? Yeah, I have to I mean, watch that one just to have watched it. It's it's everyone it's dead worth on watching. this conversation, but me. Okay, I'll cue that one up. I'll let Aaron, you know what I think next week. I, I in, well, yeah, I I'll, I won't say anything about that. Yeah, it could come up as as a movie to watch down the road too. Yeah. So we'll see. But uh, yeah, uh, the mo- of the movies uh, that I know him uh, to have directed um, have been some very, very good and, and some of the more complex and layered films that I've ever seen. So uh, well done on that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think I would be remiss in not, in not giving this uh, somewhere in the A range. Um, I'll probably go with uh, an A minus on this one. Uh, Devin, what did you think? yeah i i liked a lot about this movie um i think it was very well like just very well made obviously and it was it was enjoyable to watch despite some very uncomfortable things happening in it yeah um my just my biggest takeaway is that i didn't really have a takeaway i'm still even after our discussion not entirely sure what this film was trying to say or maybe it was just trying to say too much um and i think for me it's going to be a b not because of the quality, but just because I, I, I'm still not quite sure what this this was trying to tell me. Sure, and I agree with that. Um, and I think that our again, I can't step away from our conversation as being a part of how I'm grading it. And what I got out of the conversation was was a lot more than what I would walk away initially uh, from viewing the film. Uh, which definitely uh, tracked a little bit up for me from where I was, but I was probably starting in about where you were at. Um, so I think that's fair. Uh, James Pepe? I think uh, this is going to be an A- minus for me. Um, you know, just in this brief few minutes here, thinking about why not just a full A, I'm not sure. There's, there's something about... I guess I, I don't know. I have there's very specific types of movies where I'm like, this movie is made exactly for me, and I mm-hmm. like to give those movies A's. Yeah, this yeah, movie yeah. isn't quite that. It's almost it's just left of it, or you know, just just slightly off the mark, because it does have all the hallmarks of a movie. I would, and I did. I really liked it. This is an awesome movie. Um, yeah, it takes chances. It does weird shit, and it does it good. You know, um, but just. Just right, just barely outside of the ten ring for me. So I think I'm going to say yeah. A minus. Yeah, and you also have to be in the mood for to make a wine analogy a Pinot that's very complex, you know, and that you are ready to kind of think about and and ruminate on, you know. Uh, so be ready for that if you haven't seen it yet. Um, I love a Pinot that makes me think. Oh yeah, they all make <laughs> me think. 
Pinot's a, yeah. a thinking man's wine for sure. Uh, not fucking Merlot. <laughs> oh, that's from Sideways. I'm quoting something. Okay. Yeah. Uh, oh, you haven't seen Sideways, Jim? Oh, man. That's, that's going to uh, be I don't up. think so. Y'all can guess me when Sideways comes up. Same director as, uh, as Nebraska, so which I think Sideways mm. is the better of the two. Yeah, a very good road movie. Yeah, in fact, uh, because of that line, uh, Merlot uh, sales dipped uh, yeah, back in 2005. Uh, they did more than dip. I think it was yeah, bad. It, it, it affected the Merlot market for, for a while. Yeah, because of, of what was said in that movie. So, yeah, I'm not just saying that. I don't feel that strongly. I, in fact, I like a good Merlot. It's like the kind of turn your brain off and just enjoy the yummy wine kind of wine. So, anyway, Jim, Scott, what did you think of Pinot Noir dance film? Um, <laughs> man, I'm wine. really into this. Pin- I'm really uh-huh. into this Pinot Noir and I'm not into wine. Yeah, uh, when yeah. this movie first came out, I had no inclination to watch it. Me too. I didn't care about it. I was like, nah, I'm good. Mm-hmm. Even after, oh, it's a psychological thriller. You know, all, all the reception uh, and the buzz yeah. around it. I was like, yeah, this ain't my movie. But that's one great thing about this podcast is you stretch what you would normally, uh, you know, view. And having watched yep. this movie, it, it told me two things. It allowed me to glimpse into the lives of ballerinas, you know, and that whole intensity, because it, it was very realistic as far as pulling you in. Yeah. And, and everything and the sacrifice that goes with it. So, I, you know, that was interesting. And the story of Natalie Portman and what she's going through with all of these different personalities. And then later on her kind of her slide, that was interesting. So I enjoyed this movie. I never would have watched it on my own. Um, And so with that being said, in our lively discussion and things that make, make, make you think, and I'm still thinking about, you know, the movie, um, I'm going to give it a B plus, whereas, you know, I was also in kind of the B range uh, yeah. before a discussion. So tracked up. Yeah. Yeah. Same same experience I had. Yeah. And I kind of went into this. I had only seen it once before back when it came out and it didn't interest mm-hmm. me at the time. But I wasn't open to, you know, drinking the uh, the Pinot at the time. Right. Mm hmm. Um, and, and even going into this viewing, I was kind of like, oh man, <laughs> it felt more like homework yeah. sitting down to do it. Uh, however, it was, uh, I was pleasantly surprised and, um, yep. I have felt that way before. In fact, with another cat movie with Roma, I, I had felt like that mm-hmm. one was a homework film that I ended up really liking and have thought about, uh, very fondly since. And so, yeah, I think that that's a, that's great. And it's nice to hear that that is a similar experience for you, that podcast itself has been uh, of some value to you in that sense. Yeah. That's why we're here. That's one of the main reasons we all wanted to do this. So glad to hear that's a thing. So Devin, do you have cat's grade uh, for Black Swan? Uh, I do indeed. She says, um, although there's a lot of really great elements in the movie, I recalled how I felt after my first time watching it, mm-hmm. kind of disappointed. It just didn't really meet up meet my expectations of what I thought this movie would be, even if I do think it's a good movie nonetheless. She gives it a B plus. Hmm. Okay, so she might have tacked down from where she was. 
I, I wonder how mm-hmm. she would have felt or how she will feel after watching the podcast or if she was if she were to have been here for the combo. Yeah, I have um, a feeling she would have improved that a little bit, um, maybe to an A minus or something. I get that sense too. Yeah, and um, well, yeah, let's just so change it so it agrees with me. So, uh, what, where does that live? That's a not bad marks for this film. What did that leave us with the GPA? Yeah, that drops it at a 3.4, um, which not puts bad. it on the, yeah, B plus puts it on the tier of the, the lighthouse enemy and 10 Cloverfield lane is joins wow. that, that echelon. How the fuck did 10 Cloverfield lane get in there? That's a it's great a movie. I love it. Oh, yeah, I love that movie. Get out of here. so good in that. Come on. Talk about psychological thriller. That's <laughs> more of a psychological thriller than this movie. If you want more of Pepe's uh, complete and utter disillusionment Friends. with that film, go back and watch the Tim Cloverfield Lane podcast. <laughs> oh, man. For more, of, for more of the same. It's, it's a, it was a fun episode, whether or not uh, you agree with him. Cool. Well, that, that's some, that's a good solid grade there. And um, yeah, I think that we tend to end up liking these complex movies probably because we garner such uh, or they um, they garner uh, not garner, but they um, kick they off lend the, themselves to a great yeah, conversation. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. They their good conversation is rot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just want yeah, to bite into them. Yeah, there's a lot to uh, there's a lot of layers to dig through and figure stuff out. So they're fun. They're rich veins, indeed. Yes. Yeah. Let's keep Mind selling it. out of that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, looking, I'm still not at the analogy I was pulling for, but oh well. More than one way to skin these cats. Well, you know when I you know what I always get these things when I when I miss it during the show is when we air when we uh, broadcast the thing and and we do it in the uh, chat. That's when I always find my. my oh words. yeah. Uh, hopefully that makes means I'm a better writer than I am a speaker. Anyway. <laughs> oh man, I actually I realized something that oh, when okay. we were doing the uh, when we were doing the um, other side of the wind podcast, I think I said that John Houston directed Chinatown instead of acted in it. He didn't direct. I think I said he directed Chinatown, and he did not. Oh, okay. So, so uh, directions. Make note of that then. Yeah, exactly. Don't do, yeah. <laughs> some show business. Stop writing us angry emails, please. Start writing us happy or, emails. Or write us any emails. Yeah, right. <laughs> That'd be fine too. Um. Yeah. <laughs> that reminds. That, uh, that reminds. I had a radio show when I was at SMC, and I said that I was going to play a song, and I played a different song instead of the one I said. And the, Uh-oh. like, only time anyone ever called my radio show was to be like, that wasn't the song. Mm. So, yeah, thanks, Worst man. Worst radio cool. show ever. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, people love, people love uh, correcting. <sighs> so. Maybe we should just start saying all sorts of wrong shit and getting people to Yeah, to, just until to, we get those emails, us. those emails how, flowing in. It's literally how, like, Facebook <laughs> video makers, like, get traffic. Oh they just make, like, fake bad videos. Yeah, yeah. There's that lady who does bad do-it-yourself videos of just terrible things, and she gets money from like just doing horrible things and saying, "Oh, here's a life hack," you know, or or whatever. (laughs) There's an actual phrase for it. I heard the other week that was like, "Oh, that's brilliant!" It just went right out of my head. Yeah, something hate baiting or something like that. Hate baiting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that's like that. Yeah, exactly. Um, Yeah, we need a we need a we need a we need our own glass shark bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know what? That's a reference no. for no one but me. 
Okay. Well, maybe some I, someday I hope to be uh, in on an inside. No, joke come too. on. That's a popular podcast. People know who <laughs> that is. It's not that what? popular. I've what met, are you talking about? I've, heard I've literally met before. one human being who's heard of the word McElroy ever in their life. And it's you, Pepe. That's it. I've never met someone who's I've heard only of heard podcast. it from you guys bringing it up before during one of our games or something like that. Or maybe it was this podcast. Just because the people you associate with are dummies who don't know good podcasts doesn't mean that it's not like a wildly popular podcast. It does. I mean, it doesn't do that good of numbers anymore. It's like it's. I don't know. Oh, well, it's maybe not. Maybe not. It was Bim Bam, but like he, they have a well, whatever. That's something. Got the the joke. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, um, we need to roll for the next episode. Now that we've wrapped up Black Swan uh, in a nice little frozen package and put it in the freezer to get freezer burn. Um, so since Kat's not here, has anyone else not rolled yet? Has Jim rolled? This um, time? I have not rolled. Okay, well, I have not why rolled. Why don't we roll with that then? Um, so we have oh, a couple episodes you. left. Yeah, you see what I did there. Yeah. Um, so we're rolling a what a D two, which would be a D four. Yeah. So I'll oh, roll a, I'll roll a six sided dice, and one, two, three will be one, and right. four, five, six will be two, and I'll just save the number so we don't. Have to, but whenever you are ready, <laughs> you'll translate it's for me. Thank you. Yeah, yeah I'll translate. <laughs> Please don't make me think. Jim's Jim's gonna <laughs> yeah, right. Jim's gonna math this out for us smooth brains over here. He can't do it. <laughs> and uh, hang on one second. Okay, we are ready to go. Do you have your dice ready, sir? Uh, yeah, I'm rolling digitally this time. I'm doing something different. Jim. Okay. Well, if you're ready to roll, then here's your drum roll, sir. Okay. All right, I got a two. Two. So we will be watching a little movie called Beetlejuice 1998, uh, and it won Best Makeup, and it is streaming free on Peacock. Um, Peacock. So, yeah, a little Beetlejuice action. So uh, that's the second Tim Burton movie of the series that we'll oh, be watching. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, interesting. It is Halloweeny. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. That's a good Halloween movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's on the nose. Whereas this yeah. one was like the clever, loose interpretation. This one was when I on the this, beak. Was, oh, there you go. <laughs> womp womp. Yeah, no, it's all good. I think swans uh, have a bill, technically. I'm done. You mean like <laughs> <All right>. <laughs> nice. I like that we've been doing our own sound effects for this. What are they subscribing to that they're getting billed for? (laughs) Peacock, maybe. But no, that's a free service. Oh, no, you can get Peacock free. Yeah, yeah. I I have it. They did actually did a thing, and I don't know if they're still doing it. But uh, if you order through DoorDash during October or something, uh, if you get McDonald's specifically, they were doing a thing where you will get three months of Peacock Premium for free. Which I did. Wow! I, I ordered some McDonald's for my kid. Got him some nuggets. Got myself a three month uh, free Peacock, uh, non commercial uh, tiered thing. Yeah, I wanted there to watch those uh, Office episodes. Some of the things you can watch free. Some of them, uh, the ones with the feather on it, you have to get the uh, the either the medium or the high tier. 
premium. Yeah, exactly. However they do it. Yeah. They have to be they were doing ho- for some reason. They were doing Halloween kills. You could watch that on Peacock, but I think you need the premium services. Probably Which one of the ones you have to pay. And didn't oh, really? Oh, nice. Yeah, uh, was, Hunter wasn't going. My son wasn't <laughs> ready for bed, and he kept interrupting, and we kind of like lost the momentum yeah. on that one. We'll, we'll pick it up. Um, I always got to watch all the Halloween movies. Mm-hmm. Of course. It's one of those, still one of the most profitable right up there with Blair Witch and and uh, some of the other ones, Friday the 13th, the first one, and um, oh, what is the one I'm forgetting? Not Poltergeist. That was a big budget. Um, the the other haunted found footage film that they're still making sequels for. What is it called? The uh, the ghost paranormal. Uh, yeah, yeah, paranormal activity. activity, which I think is number one. Actually, I think that's the most profitable now. Uh, it's either wow. that or Blair Witch. It's right up there. Yeah, crazy. Anyway, uh, yeah, so I'll have to pick up that uh, that loose thread at some point and finish watching that. Uh, anyway, uh, show business time. Um. Fan emails. I, we mentioned this before. If you if you if you caught us in an error or a lie, <laughs> uh, feel free to uh, push up your glasses and uh, tell us we're the worst ever. And write to Ben at redheadmedia.com and we may respond on the show. And you may just garner yourself a uh, Who Dundee Award statue um, for your efforts. So uh, if you're hearing this, let us know what you think, one way or the other. And um, if I like your email, then a statue you may receive uh, to give you a little bit of a Yoda response there. So that said, I think that's about it for this one, guys. Yeah. I think yeah. That we're all wrapped up. Nothing in nice ever happens at this part of the show. Oh. Oh, it's McDonald's DoorDash. Oh, shit. Oh, yeah, there you go. There's the Black dark, Swan uh, Nuggies. Just saw you first. It's our Black Swan <laughs> Nuggies. <laughs> no, my wife's in bed. Why do you ask? <laughs> <laughs> Just one more thing. Columbo. <laughs> Columbo's delivery schwans now. Yep, that's right. <laughs> Undercover uh, and under the covers, unfortunately for me. Um, so he's here to tell us we have time for just one more thing. Yeah, very racy, just one more thing this week, uh, which is the part of the show where we each co-host shares a little something from outside of the show. Um, so let's start with Devin, since I'm scrambling to remember what my just one more thing is at this moment. What do you got for us this week? See, I got some great advice to write my one more things down uh, ahead of time. So that's what I did. That's why I remember. Good one. Yeah. (laughs) No, I, yeah, this whole week has been just 12 more things for me so it's hard to uh, hard to choose and to do my homework so this week i wanted to bring the resident evil 4 vr remake uh, revival yeah. resurrection whatever you want to call it um i'm a big fan of the resident evil franchise and resident evil 4 has always been my favorite as well as my introduction to the uh series and um I've only had about four hours with the game so far i just bought it it just came out today literally this morning as we're recording this and uh, I think that coupon it, code works. It's incredible. I, I didn't. I think what that is is that is a one per account thing, and I think I've used it in the past because when see. I tried it, it said that it, it expired or something, even though yours said it hadn't. But uh, alas, if you're a new Oculus user, you may have a uh, coupon to get this game. I think it's Oculus cheaper. Thirty, if if I remember correctly, but you may just yeah, be able to yeah. Google it. It's only for um, October, I think. 
but uh, this game suits VR really well. It's it's pretty impressive what they've done to make it all work. It's very clear they've rebuilt a lot of the game to make this work in VR. It is not a simple port by any means. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it works perfectly. And I think it's a great uh, like proof of concept of porting retro shooters. I think that like VR it is a really good format to revive old, old shooters. Um, particularly, I think uh, like Halo, the original Halo would be really cool in VR. Um, especially since that game was really slow uh, in terms of shooters. You, you can't sprint. So, like, you know, it makes sense in VR. You want slower games. Um, but, yeah, it's really good. Cool. Um, is that word for word what you wrote down? <laughs> no, I rambled a little bit there. Oh, okay, okay. No, I just had to give you give you what I got. So, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I can't wait to play that one. I didn't realize it came out uh, yet. And I do remember my just one more thing. It was the sequel to the Sandman uh, radio drama. They came out with the second part, which is a continuation uh, uh, adaptation of uh, Neil Gaiman's Sandman comic books, which they did a fantastic uh, job with uh, the first one. Uh, the second one came out. Uh, um, appropriately in October now for Halloween. I uh, downloaded it from Audible. It's an Audible exclusive. I don't have a coupon code because uh, we just haven't gotten that kind of... Um, whoa, where'd Devin go? We haven't gotten that kind of clout yet. <laughs> there he is. <laughs> and uh, no, I highly recommend both of them. If you either, Whether or not you're a fan of Neil Gaiman or Sandman, they did such a fantastic job uh, producing these. Uh, it is riveting. It is a wonderful series, whether or not you've read the comic. Uh, it's particularly a good translation, having read both read the comic and listened to the radio drama. Highly recommend it. Uh, the sequel is as good as the first part, and it's really just a continuation of where they left off in the comic series uh, with the sequel. And so if you uh, are a fan of gothic horror or uh, adaptations of mythology, uh, you are sure to like this, and you probably would like it even if you're not a fan of those. They did such a good job. The Sandman, Audible, uh, Audible original radio dramas, part one and two, both out. I've been Check I've out. been happy with the uh, casting that I've been seeing for the show too. The casting for Sandman's been cool for the for the live action. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's been good. Speaking of which, I'm curious what your just one more thing is, and if it's about the Cowboy Bebop show or not. Oh, you know, shoot, I. It, well, maybe it now it is. Pepe <laughs> <laughs> and I have been talking. <laughs> yeah. Well, shit. Okay. Here. Okay. First, one more thing. Costco all now has their cranberry raisin bread back in stock. Go buy Costco's cranberry raisin bread. It's delicious. <laughs> oh, you're causing a riot now, son. <laughs> uh, second is I watched a really cool documentary. Um, on YouTube, which is, it was free to watch on YouTube, called AlphaGo, about guys uh, who are in the sort of similar way of like Deep Blue. They developed AI to learn to play Go, and they pitted against the best Go player in the world, and drama ensues. Uh, hmm. So yeah, it was super good. It was that. It, it was no really spoilers. really good. Well done. It was really really good. And it, like I said, it's free on YouTube. It's called AlphaGo. Alpha um, Go, just how yeah. just how you know it's spelled. Yeah, one word, Alpha Go. Just kidding. Yeah, right. Okay, yeah. Alpha Go. So A L P H A G O. Correct. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and yeah, and recently Netflix dropped a teaser for their live action Cowboy Bebop uh, yes. show and the intro and uh, oh yeah, and the opening credits. Yeah. And uh, 
I don't know. The more the first time I watched the tr- the teaser, we've been I was wary like, as fans of this series. Yeah, the first time I watched the teaser, I was like, I don't know about this because if this mm-hmm. is what the show's going to look like, it's not going to be that good. And I right. hope it's not what the show's going to look like. Um, no, but, but we have reason to think it's not, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think they tried to do something in the style of the opening credits, like something more pulpy, kind of seventies. Um, and once I sort of and got clever. into that, yeah, yeah, and clever, cool. Uh, you, you, it's sort of the it's the first time you hear the characters interacting with one another too. Um, and yeah, the more I watched, I watched it probably three times, I think. Me and with well. each with each repeat viewing. I liked it more and more. Yeah. Um, once I once I backed away from, is this what the show's going to be like? To no, they just probably and almost certainly shot this just outside of any footage from the actual show, just as its own separate thing, to just kind of give you a preview of the characters and just to be really really clever. I'd say. Yeah. Um, I was more. I was willing to let my guard down a little bit and be a little bit more excited about uh, the upcoming series, which drops November nineteenth or something like that. Something like that. Eighteenth, nineteenth. And uh, and Netflix is going to run the original series too. They're wow, the that's wonderful. Yeah. The only the, the really after I watched it a few times, the only sort of thing about it, I was I kind of thought like I wish the guy playing Jet was be was like a little more emphatic in his like delivery of lines because like jet is either like calm or just like at 11 and he yeah. kind of didn't yeah. i wasn't quite yeah so that would yeah that was the only other thing too although when he spoke it sounded like the voice oh it sounds a jet. lot like him yeah more so than even the other actors sound like the voice actors he sounds like the voice actor so maybe he'll get there in the show or whatever but yeah, yeah it was really clever if you haven't checked it out do so uh, i I don't know. Do you recommend people go and watch the original series before they watch the live action? Oh, well, yeah, of course, because yeah, yeah, yeah it's one of the best anime series of all time. Yeah. My, by my estimation. Certainly yeah. It, you know, it, it has some low points, but men are the highs high. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Stellar. Yeah. And none of the episodes are super long. So no. even if it's like a kind of a slower episode or like one where we follow someone who, it's the thing with shows. I mean, they're not movies. It's, you know, we have that, we can have like a little 20 minute episode of following, uh, you know, Faye off to do something that's like not really a part of the show and, and you know, forgive that. You know? Yeah, and well, you got 26 develop episodes. Develop character. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So definitely go check out the original series if you haven't. And uh, we're getting more excited for the show, but... Um, We'll have to just see. We're waiting for the real trailer to drop, I think, next week. So we'll get a better sense of what the actual show will look like. But it was a very clever little sneak peek. And uh, the yeah. intro was pretty cool. Um, some people thought that it was like the live action parts felt a little too like. Uh, I guess the word is like robotic or something. But they, what they were doing was trying to fit it as close as possible to the original anime opening. And so some of the motions, yeah, yeah they're going to look a little animated style and not live action. But I, I was I thought yeah. it was pretty dope. Uh, to use some 90s slang. Cool. Uh, yeah. So we'll see how that works out. Um, Jim Scott, what have you got for us this week on Just One More Thing? 
Um, my just one more thing for the month of October is AMC Plus. I, I figure I'd I'd wrap a rival streaming service to Devin's Apple thing? Plus. Okay. Yeah, uh, AMC Plus has the newest versions of like The Walking Dead and some of their other um, series that are really good, as well as some movies. Okay. They also uh, under that in bandwagon you get Shutter, which is nothing but horror movies and series, more hits than misses, foreign horror that type of thing. And specifically with AMC Plus under Shutter, because there are all these other you know umbrellas, uh, is a show uh, Creep Show. Um, and it is an uh, anthology uh, style. Each episode is two short stories. So the entirety of the episode runs about 45 minutes. So each each episode, uh, each story in that episode is about 20 something minutes long. But I was watching um, the fifth one of season three, which they air in in uh, October around October time. But it was an animation the second story was an animation animation which was pretty cool so check you out some creep show on amc plus neat uh yeah amc that was a surprising transition from regular network to prestige television right i mean they yeah. gave us uh breaking bad you know to mention this little little mm -hmm. show um i remember finding that uh nugget which turned out to be a very rich vein indeed um, oh yeah became uh must see tv uh prestige television uh, in, a, in an era when you know popular culture is fragmented i everyone has seen that one and then from there they gave us mad men walking dead etc so cool exactly. i'll have to check that out thanks for that tip um since cat doesn't have a just one more thing i i'm wondering if anyone picked up the gauntlet and watched uh, the sinner yet or have you all been oh. sinners in yourself and not checked it out i watched the first season <laughs> Oh, okay. So we're, did it capture your uh, attention in the first episode, or did you just push through to uh, talk smack? I'm curious where you ended up with that. Um, no, I liked I liked the first season. Um, I wasn't head over heels for it, but it was it was good. I started it on the second season. Um, I'm just a few episodes in, but. Cool. It tried to make me watch the third season first, and I remembered that you said you watched the first, the third season first. Because that's what and it did to me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, no, no, no. This is not how I watch things. Exactly. So. Exactly. Though the third season was maybe the best season. Maybe. Maybe the first season was, but maybe the third. But the fourth one is also coming out. So, um, so cool. That's that's neat that you that you actually watch. Wow, I'm pleasantly yeah. surprised. Nice. So you liked it. Good. Yeah. Um, it's right up there. I, I'm also, as you probably guessed, a, a kind of pot boiler fan. Uh, and I like obviously Columbo and shows like that. So uh, detective characters uh, is, is something that appeals to me. So they, they did a good job with this show and that character. Um, has anyone uh, has anyone else checked it out? No, not yet. Not yet. OK. Cool. Have well, you, you watched do, uh, Hannibal? Did you get a chance? Oh, well, you probably no. didn't. You've been so busy. No, but um, no, it's good that you mentioned it again because uh, I am primed up to watch it. And man, sometimes I we talk we talk about these things and then I leave the show and then it's just like gone. And, I, and then yeah, I go right. to like watch something and I'm like, oh, what am I going to watch? You know, I should go. What is it streaming on again? Let us just give us a brief reminder. Uh, shit, I don't remember. I'll find it. Look it up real quick. Yeah, okay, cool. Um, all right, yeah, uh, I 
God, what was it streaming on? But uh, another one was uh, the Perry Mason show. I liked that one was a, a slow burn in, in the same vein as um, Chinatown, you know, that they did a good job uh, reimagining that uh, from the original. And I don't know if Perry Mason was in first an adaptation of like a pulp comics or a book or anything like that. Um, but this was definitely a, the one on HBO is a, a big reimagining and setting it even in a different era. And they did a good job with that one as well. So if you do like the center or like detective stuff, that's another one I can recommend. Did I give you enough time to look it up? Yeah. So all three seasons are on Hulu right now. You can stream them for free. There you go. Okay. Hulu it is. Yeah. Hulu's bringing it. Um, they're not messing around either. Um, they're, they're trying to, uh, they're, they're in for the fight. So good for them. Keep it up. Then I noticed they, I hadn't watched it in forever when I watched it this week and they have a new, uh, uh, a new stinger in the beginning that I really liked, uh, the little logo thing they do. Um, they, they updated that good job to them. Cool. Um, well, I think that really is uh, just about it for this episode. I think I'll miss you most of all. And that is Dorothy letting us know it's time to say goodbye. I'm not crying. You're crying. Who's cutting onions? Uh, let's start with Devin. I'm Devin Schwartz. You can find me at Devin Schwartz one on Twitter and came over, man. Game over. It is indeed. And all of our feet hurt after uh, watching that movie. <clears throat> and James Pepe. Yeah, I've been James Pepe. Uh, thanks for listening or watching. And, uh, Hope to see you back next week. Yeah, join us next week for uh, Beetlejuice, a classic Tim Burton movie, very stylized in, in fine form. And he's uh, announced the sequel to that, I believe. So I think we mentioned that. Oh, before. God, no. Uh -huh. I know. So he'll have yeah, he'll have all the money in the world to ruin Beetlejuice. So we'll see how he does it. <laughs> or it'll be his big comeback. It'll be his big comeback. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Jim Beetlejuice Scott. and the Crystal Skull. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> South Park will have a field day. <laughs> Jim Scott. Jim, say goodbye to us. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, farewell, gentle listeners and friends. It's been a pleasure. And I look forward to discussing Beetlejuice with you all next week. Yeah, me as well. That's a, that'll be a fun uh, Halloween movie that's very kind of on the nose to uh, check out. And I haven't seen it in years either. So that'll be a cool one. Yep, so join us for that next week. And this has been I'll Look at Yours If You Look at Mine. And now that you've looked at ours, we hope to look at yours soon. If you enjoy the show, be sure to like, comment, subscribe, ring the bell, give us a five-star review, dot your I's, cross your T's, sign here, initial here, and don't forget to tell your friends. And don't forget to watch Beetlejuice 1998, which won Best Makeup, streaming free on Peacock for next week's show. Until next time, lookers, keep on looking!